Oh, yeah. That's what we're talking about. It's episode 113 here on Height Drop. We have Jeremy Sanders as today's guest in studio. It was really cool to have him in town and get to catch up in the flesh. He has just so many wild stories, and we take the whole journey of how he got in through parkour and kind of evolved as a as a man from a boy and uh and everything in between and he's just had a, a really wild and was really open with his journey through life um and that was like so cool he's an a legend just a living legend in the community especially you know in my generation we know so few um people that are still left in the game sometimes and uh he's one of the names that's just been around you know since the beginning for me so much love and much respect to jeremy sanders i hope you guys dig this episode as much as i did so cool i'll see you at the end of the episode all right, all right here we go you turned into batman first <laughs> this is my podcasting voice <laughs> yeah you got to get that low drop octave lower than normal uh, okay I see. that's how you soothe the listener um thank you for coming on man yeah, Jeremy dude. Sanders in the building. Yeah, thanks for having me, Brandon. I what mean, a rare occurrence. Yeah, that is. <laughs> I'm not <laughs> usually on this side of the world, but um, yeah, happy to be here. Happy to see you. It was really cool to be able to get to see, you know, some of the young guns again, the the tryhard people and Max. So really, yeah, thanks for having me. Honestly, <laughs> I couldn't say no when I <laughs> saw that you were in town. I was like, whoa. Yeah, the knife um, against you didn't help either, right? Like you can't say. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I'd love to have you on the podcast. There's a bomb strapped to, to <laughs> underneath his tank top. Yeah. There's actually suicide vest, and he's threatening me. Um, yeah. yeah, man. Well, you were about to tell me a funny story, so go right into it, okay. I guess, because you were saying, who's in my room? And I was like, well, it was me, Dylan, and Knox. Yeah. There was everyone that was kind of in there, but that was like who was on the LLC. Mm-hmm. And then you said that you had some room shorts, and they yeah, had a so devastating end. It was Jeez. horrible and very... <laughs> Like, not a fitting demise, but you know, Merm's dope. Back in the day, it was super cool. Your guys' stuff, the videos. What was what was that one video in the gym? The there was a shoot video and a slam sh- video. Yeah, both of them. The the shoot and the slam video, oh, super iconic. But um, <clears throat> yeah, I love the shorts because they were like one of the only, like kind of like basketball style like shorts going on, like not cotton whatever you know things. Fine and, mesh. Um, yeah, the finest. The fine mesh, exactly. <laughs> I, and great for Texas training, great for Dubai training. Um, and anyway, one of my friends, what I lived with, Pedro, you bastard, I love you. But um, we, there's lots of washers overseas, but there's not many dryers. And so the clothes were washed, but not dried. And for some reason, he just had to train with the merm shorts that day. <laughs> and in his brain, even though he's way smarter than me and an engineer and can like build dams and buildings and stuff like that he thought it would be cool to like just put the merm shorts in a frying pan for a little bit to dry them (laughs) and (laughs) then he proceeded makes sense (laughs) and then he proceeded to yeah yeah burn a bunch of holes into the merm shorts cooked and yeah and you could wear them if you like no you couldn't wear them they were done that was that's how they ended and i was really sad for a while well (laughs) damn dude i'm I'm honored in a way that you felt saddened by the loss of this garment that <laughs> yeah. we created as a team. But yeah, sorry to hear that. It's a tough, it's a brutal end. It's getting cooked alive. My, actually my merm shorts, I burned at Burning Man. Oh, uh, okay. So that was another pair that got burned. 
I don't yeah. know how many pairs got burned. <laughs> yeah, that's a if good If you have a merm short out there that got burned, tell us your story. We need to know. Yeah, definitely. <clears throat> nice. So I guess it would behoove um, me to just have you maybe tell your story a little bit for anyone who's listening that doesn't know who you are. You're obviously a legend among the generation that I come from Mm -hmm. and everyone knows who you are, but you know, there's a lot of new people out there and like everyone, Mm. you know, we've seen the turnover of generation to generation. It's just crazy now. And so like, I don't expect anyone to know me or any of my guests anymore. And well, how could they, there's just so much out there, (laughs) but you've done a lot of things. And so even for me, it's going to be a good reminder of your journey and just how you got into parkour a little bit, just, you know, or just your whole life story. Let's just start from, (laughs) When were you born? Where? And all that. Yeah. <laughs> that was your first memory, I think. Oh man. Um, yeah, let's kind of we'll start kind of parkour, and then as we <laughs> as we warm up, we can we can go into some life stuff. But um, yeah, so I started training around 2003. Um, I my first like parkour thing that I saw was uh, Ripley's Believe It or Not, and it was the Yamakaze just like kind of doing their thing. My first thing too. Yeah, it was a, it was classic um and as soon as i saw that it was like yep gotta go do yamakaze <laughs> so we didn't, <laughs> didn't know parkour or free riding or art de plasman or anything like that me and then i got one of my other friends uh Vinny, and we were just doing yamakaze for like a year or something we just you know jump around do and where were you growing up uh, san antonio this? yeah san antonio so, okay yeah, san antonio san antonio baby. um yeah, so I was born in California, raised mostly in San Antonio. We kind of moved around up to that point. But, um, yeah, so I was around 13 when I started. Um, and obviously, as is that time, there was, like, there was no YouTube. There was no anything. And um, we just had what we saw. We started doing that. Eventually saw, like, the Nike Presto ad, like, the, I think it was, like, the Angry Chicken or, like, Mm-hmm. There's also like the scary cat one. I think it was the angry chicken one I saw though. When it and then at the bottom it was like professional free runner, and then through that I found parkour.net, and then also urban free flow, and then that's when I was like, oh okay, we're doing like parkour, you know, or that's what we started calling it. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, and I mean it was it was all right. I feel like at the beginning of like the forum days, you know, there was. There was a lot going on, but there also wasn't that much going on. I mean, like the scene was like, I I don't like you know I don't remember doing a step vault until like years later. <laughs> we were, like, what side, were you doing? I mean, I think it, yeah, it was like side vaults, and it was like jumping off the highest thing you could, and Fuck, like yeah, <laughs> Kong Kong vaults, and then just flips mostly. Oh man, some reverse vaults too. I think my my biggest inspiration, which I finally knew it was like parkour and not Yamakasi, <laughs> was um what was their group. Uh, the Cambridge Tracers, TCT. Oh, yeah. So like Jin and Owen, I think like, and then shortly after, that's when um, Barefoot Guys, not Barefoot anymore, but I can't remember. Phil Doyle. Thank you. Phil Doyle came from that whole area. Mm-hmm. But like, I remember those guys when I first started seeing them, they had like dope reverse vaults and all things like that. And I know there was a lot of like inspiration from there once um, like through Google video, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Videos and stuff like that. But, um, yeah, I mean, that's kind of how things got started. And um, as is the way, it was just, like, tons of trial and error. I remember, like, rolling my ankles, like, all the time. And, you know, you're 13, so you bounce back just fine. And um, 
I was just like a super weak gamer, kind of like nerdy kid. <laughs> so I didn't really have any like physical base to like start from. Uh, I did have a little bit of a martial arts background, like uh, maybe like up to six months before I found parkour. But um, but like that was the the gist of it. But I think as a lot of a kid, a lot of people that are into it, they're already kind of like doing parkour stuff. I remember like long little long time ago seeing like Max post like a video of him or a picture of him as a little kid jumping off like an electrical box. You know yeah, what I mean? Yeah. Like that's just what kids, kids do. Kids play, exactly. right? And like so they I was use already, their bodies. Yeah. And that's arguably a definition for parkour right there. Yeah. Hundred <laughs> percent. So even before I was doing parkour, I was already like jumping off roofs and things like that. Hmm. Um but it definitely gave even like as a, a nerdy gamer kid or not nerdy weak gamer kid yeah exactly so like <laughs> you had an interest in it uh, just drawing you in okay i want to expand on that no, maybe no, a little yeah, later yeah, but yeah so i mean that was the i mean prince of persia like assassin's okay, creed so some of the games you're playing yeah even, i mean drawing you in. like any, when you said you were studying it was it was jujitsu japanese jujitsu right Is yeah that when you first started a little bit before parkour mm -hmm. and that's obviously a pretty established <clears throat> traditional martial art or at least in comparison with parkour oh yeah i'm gonna get a little curious like what 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 about you made like yourself in, you were interested in this very established kind of thing or mm -hmm. at least kind of ancient a little bit yeah, niche yeah. Mm -hmm. to another niche i guess or but a very new budding kind of unknown thing do you remember like if yeah seeing it that way or why i was mean sadly or funnily or whatever <laughs> it's it i think it still ties back into video games so oh, nice. <laughs> like if we were to go into like my past past i like grew up in super poor environment and like the around my family there was like lots of drugs and like these kind of like bad influences and i think as a kid it was like there was two things that were like my my go-to not necessarily like maybe coping mechanisms or you know, escapes from mm. this environment that was not, you know, as a kid that healthy for me, right? And first was like exploring the outside, like the outdoors. So like we lived in, I was born in California. One of my first memories is uh, living in Idlewild and there's like beautiful pine trees, mountains and snow. And I just remember like, you know, wandering around, like being a kid or whatever. Um, <clears throat> and this like, because of that, I think there was always this connection with just like being outside, exploring my environment and like, honestly, because I didn't necessarily have that many good human influences. I wasn't really, I was quite shy and not really that interested in interacting with people. So it was like actually uh, a challenge for me as I started like, you know, running my own business and actually being like in a worldwide parkour community and mm -hmm. at least a national one going to jams and things like that to like learn how to <laughs> like, you know, I'm s the socially inept parkour person is definitely not a uncommon thing, right? Because it's already hey, a niche he, thing. There's a, oh boy. It's <laughs> like the earlier you go back, the more you're likely you are to run into like the the awkward social. Like, I mean, I'm from an era where I think there was a lot of that still. And I'm a little bit, I'm like kind of like a half or a full generation after you, I would say. Mm -hmm. And obviously it still continues. Like we're yeah. not. Yeah, I mean, it's a kind of a fringe sport. It's going to attract some fringe folks, yeah, exactly. which is like the beauty of it in a way. But also, I mean, everyone has to learn that to a degree. Mm -hmm. But yeah, if you don't have very good role models or if you don't have any, um, yeah. you know, examples of how to do it, it can be really a struggle for uh, for to learn those things. Yeah, 100 percent. I mean, I think future generations are, are going to naturally like start to be better at it as it gets like more popular and as the community grows. Right. Because like 
when I started, I think the only other people training in Texas at the same time as me were the Tap Brothers. And, you mm-hmm. know, they're, I'm a 13 year old kid. They're like a six hour drive away in Dallas. Like, mm-hmm. I didn't even know they existed probably until <laughs> I was like 15 or 16. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? And then mm-hmm. we didn't train till, you know, probably, yeah, like 16 years old or something like that. So <coughs> I think, uh, yeah, doing this fringe thing, as you said, that had like no real people feeling like you're kind of like trailblazing it. One, there's not really a comparison to go off of. Two, there's not like, an economy or a community to like teach you how to act or anything mm-hmm. like that. You know what I mean? So, but nowadays I feel like since there is at least something going on everywhere, mm-hmm. most, most likely there is like a, there's a community to jump into and there's like people to show like, yeah, this is how like parkour people act or this is like, you know what we do. But, um, yeah. So like environmental exploration, I guess I'll say like wandering and then mm-hmm. video games were like my, things that I always went to just in my in my youth. So the jujitsu thing, funnily enough, was the video game. We came from a video game. I remember seeing like a ninja in I think it was Virtual Fighter. And <laughs> uh <coughs> and back when video games had like booklets to see all the oh, things. Oh yeah, oh yeah. You know, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> he was like it showed everybody's martial arts style and his martial arts style was Japanese Jiu Jitsu. And then just by happenstance, we were actually going to go eat at a Japanese restaurant uh, with my family, my mom and my brother. And uh, we got lost, but we ended up getting in there and in the shopping center, you know, had Japanese jujitsu. And like you see karate places everywhere, Taekwondo, even like Hapkido. But that was like the first like, oh, Japanese jujitsu place I saw. And I was like immediately knew like, OK, I got to try like that. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, and yeah, and I ended up I ended up sticking with it for the better part of 10 years, you know, it also introduced me into like Brazilian Jiu Jitsu, which is like way more popular and, and, and a cool sport, um, as well as like, you know, Muay Thai. And I mean, that like really, I think opened the floodgates into like, yeah, I guess trust, not only trusting other people, but exploring, you know, what the world has out there as far as like, you know, these types of, you know, movements and disciplines and all that kind of stuff. Hmm. And did parkour <coughs> like ignite any, you're like, how did they compare as you? Cause you were, it sounds like you're learning very in parallel a little bit. What do you notice about that in broad? Cause this is actually a half a martial arts podcast. I don't know if you knew this, Oh. but there's a theme going on. Cause I'm a big nerd about martial arts, even though I don't practice them as much as I probably should to be this much of a nerd. But, uh, I just really like, you know, I've, I got into it through the UFC and things, mm-hmm. but I'm curious, like how did they compare? Um, I guess it's always been a, like a interesting question for me is like, mm-hmm. is parkour martial art? And if so, how much? Yeah, I think, I mean, like that's the kind of the cool thing about parkour and especially like the way you learned it. We all learned it is like kind of in a viral nature. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So like when I found parkour, like you found parkour in the other world, we had no idea what, you know, that each other even existed in that moment or mm-hmm. what our first initial thing was in we take our entire life experience and then like find this thing that we start training and we apply like our own spin on what it is. Right. You Mm -hmm. know, so like, but with martial arts, especially like something like Japanese jujitsu, it's like, okay, I know where my master trained. I know who he trained under and Mm -hmm. I, and you know, there's that lineage. Right. And especially with something like that, even like Brazilian jujitsu, I know is real big into that. Um, so I think the, because of the things I was interested in, which was martial arts and stuff mm-hmm. like that, I totally 
took it into that kind of martial way. Maybe the Yamakaze thing affected it too, but not really because like whenever it's, you know, a bit like a commercial bit or a TV spot, it's not like they're showing you like, you guys should be conditioning and doing all these kinds of things. You know, they're just showing yeah. the cool stuff, <laughs> the building jumps and all that <laughs> crazy yeah. stuff. So, um, yeah, I think personally, I, I, there's two, there's a positive and a negative aspect of it. I think I took it in the positive way that because I was training in the martial art and I really loved all the, you know, old school Kung Fu movies and stuff like that, Jackie Chan and seeing like the hard training montages and things. Um, I was always trying to push myself harder in the martial, uh, in the jujitsu and harder in the parkour than, you know, I would normally do like one, what's it called? Uh, one kind of bad story, not bad, but anecdote, anecdote, exactly <laughs> in that's just directly correlates to that <clears throat> is we had a tree that was possible to do laches all the way around the tree. Oh, okay. And so one of our training things just to like, build toughness or whatever is we would do laches around the tree until we would get like at least three rips on each hand <laughs> and exactly and then after we got the rips we would go to the monkey bars and then we would do like the quick laches like that across Whoa. it for at least a couple times until like you know until we just couldn't anymore wow. and so there was it was a mix of things i'm not going to say it was just like this hardcore i want to like be a shaolin monk type deal I know now that I was also using like parkour in like a bit of a masochistic way as like a coping mechanism for, you know, mm, just like the internalized like pain or turmoil that I had from like my childhood stuff. You know what I mean? Yeah. Is there anything that you would be willing to share on that? Like in terms of like what is, what was it like a family? So you said mentioned drugs. Yeah. There was drug use like nearby. Is that like with, in your immediate family or I don't yeah. want to like pride. No, 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 that's cool. I don't, I don't really mind but at all. I think that it's definitely super relevant. It's another thing that's come up on, you know, this podcast several times. Cause I think you're not alone. There's like, mm -hmm. I would agree that that's been a, it's been a way for me to channel certain energies that I didn't know what to do with. Mm -hmm. And some of it ended up being a, a sort of violence against my body in a way. Yeah. And then, uh, you know, we work through that phase, hopefully if you can, mm -hmm. but yeah, I think that's a, that's especially again when it's earlier on i think the more mainstream it gets the less it becomes part of like the archetype of that practitioner yeah yeah but yeah. anyhow i would love to yeah just if you, whatever you're willing to expand on yeah for sure i mean i think there's there's definitely an aspect of like still i feel like from the trauma i don't have like the greatest memory of everything but i do remember like my mom one i think she left she left her house when she was like 16 or 17. So she was kind of like on the road living her life. Um, and she was into drugs and stuff like that. For example, like whenever I was like, she's, I think tried a lot of them. Mm. Um, maybe not like gone as deep as like heroin or anything like that, but pretty much anything else that's not, you know, like you're stabbing yourself with a needle. She's probably tried um, at least. And when you're in that kind of community um thankfully she wasn't on anything when she had me or whatever but she was still around like those kinds of people you know mm -hmm. what i mean and um and her nature is like always been to like be too trusting and like too nice so she would have these kinds of people around her and then invariably kind of get like taken advantage of you know what i mean mm -hmm. uh whether it be like monetarily um or just get into an abusive relationship like physically and 
you know what's the word verbally abusive yeah uh, so like some of my earliest memories like my one of my earliest memories honestly is uh being in like a daycare center i was staying with people that i don't even remember or know anything about because my mom was in jail for like a couple months or up to a year i can't remember exactly but mm. and it was like the daycares uh what's it called um like nap time i didn't want to mm -hmm. nap or whatever and then i just happened i think i was just laying down and i happened to look over and i saw like my mom you know through the window i hadn't seen her and however how long i didn't know you know as a kid i didn't know i didn't understand that she was in jail and i just know mm -hmm. she was gone you know what i mean and so like there's moments like that uh there's moments where because she was like even when she wasn't doing drugs which i don't think she ever did drugs when she after she had had me mm -hmm. but she was always around these types of people where you know the kids were trying to like smoke cigarettes and I'm like five or six years old at the time. They're trying to like break into my mom's car and get cigarettes. And I'm like, no, I'm going to like go tell my mom. And since so there's like three of them, they'll like grab me and like throw me in a ditch and then just like do what they want. Like stuff Jeez. like this. So, um, yeah, it's like, I mean, so there's like moments like this. Um, and there was a couple times where, because we would kind of be reliant on the, the kindness of others and find out like they're really not that kind. I had times where we were staying in a mobile home. We didn't have like water or electricity. We left. I, and I guess I found out later that we were like behind on rent and, um, <clears throat> we come back, all our stuff is in a pile or maybe two piles or something like that. And the lady, the landlord ends up like setting fire to like some of our stuff, you know what I mean? And kicking us out. So there's like moments like these interspersed with just like, not knowing what the hell's going on as a kid, you know? Um, and there's like little bits of like sexual abuse, thankfully nothing crazy, but I had after immediately after that one, we went with like, I don't know how my mom knew them, but they were like a super religious family. Mm. But the, the older, their, their daughter who was like maybe nine when I was like five or six, um, just was like a freak, man. And she was like always trying to like, she would throw her panties at me and try to sit on my face when I'm trying to like, nap so there's like things like this which as a kid and not having any kind of litmus test like you knew it wasn't right you know what i mean mm -hmm. but it wasn't it wasn't ever something like use i also didn't have a dad obviously i'm talking about my mom a lot my, yeah. mom, my dad wasn't around um there was never like a moment where i felt like oh man my life is fucked up or this because it was just like life i was just living yeah. it you know um i always describe it because like people ask me about the dad thing sometimes as like, oh, did you ever like wish you had a dad or like missed your dad or You're anything? Like, but like, I didn't know dad. The yeah, concept. <laughs> exactly. I never saw like a positive male figure probably until I started Japanese jujitsu. Until then, like mm. guys that I knew were like men were the people that would like hit you or slap you or like, you know, just make you do stuff. And they, you know, they weren't really to be trusted. You know what I mean? So, yeah. Wow. Um, so it was like. I didn't really feel like I was missing anything, but I know obviously like going through that trauma, even though I perceived it as normal at time, I was totally like internalizing things that mm. um, for me ended up mostly manifesting as like super low, like self-worth, you know what I mean? So all these bad things were happening to me. So I felt like, okay, so it's just normal for like someone to treat me like shit. Like that's just like, mm. all right. You know what I mean? <laughs> obviously yes. it's not. Yeah. But yeah. Oh, man. But in the moment, <clears throat> you know, you, you just expect it. So, like the first time I saw what I would consider uh, like a positive family unit, you know what I mean? Like a loving father and mother and all, and all that kind of stuff, everybody getting along. 
was like when I was like 16 or 17. Uh, yeah. So it was like through time. And then thankfully, like, as you were kind of saying, like, yeah, parkour totally was like this kind of coping mechanism, almost like a self-flagellation kind of like, mm. you know, ma yeah, masochistic, you know, discipline for me because I still had this low self-worth and I felt like for me, maybe I was like, maybe I was worthless, but I could still create something of worth mm -hmm. if that made sense. Yeah. And, and so that I had that mindset in like the early years, uh, which like I said, helped me train super, super hard. Thankfully I was lucky and didn't get like injured, like mm -hmm. in a bad way that I couldn't keep pushing. Um, but I also think because of this like martial art mindset of progress, I was finally able to understand like and take parkour, not just as like the physical sport of it, but but that discipline of overcoming the obstacles and then slowly, you know, realizing like, OK, I have like some mental and emotional issues that I need <laughs> to sort out as well. Um, so I think it was I mean. I know it's like the super most cheesy thing to say, but like martial arts and parkour definitely, I think, were instrumental in in like probably saving me as like a human being, you know? Yeah. But yeah, it's a bit wow. heavy, right? No, man, that, that's an incredible <laughs> and like harrowing story for sure, man. Thank you for sharing. Like it's, 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 I mean, everyone's journey is different, right? But mm -hmm. that is like such a theme. And I think it's going to be really powerful that, you know, I think again, just because I think it's ever, it's, it's hard to know that it's, it's rather, it's good to be reminded that you're not mm -hmm. alone sometimes in feeling those feelings and working through that. And I've seen it time and time again, I think it's, and it's not, you know, something that ever necessarily completely goes away depending on like, you know, your own life story, but yeah, it's very, I mean, that's awesome. I would love to hear like even more, like how, when did you realize that some of this stuff was like unhealthy and mm -hmm. like, because I think that's something that true, it's like so hard. And like, you have this void that you're talking about, yeah, yeah. you know, this low self-worth, you, you feel special, you feel good again, or you feel like you might be worth something when you start to achieve things and you see, you know, incremental progress. You're like, all right, at least I can create that. I like actually the way you put that. It's an interesting way. It's just like, I can create something of value, even if I'm of not value. Yeah, you know, that's exactly. a, 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 definitely a mindset. Mm -hmm. Um, that can really push you. And then we see some of like the most, you know, explosive, like powerful, like even like prolific influential figures, um, in anything, but especially in sports and stuff like that. Uh, especially in martial arts, I would say even, but some of these guys are working through that, mm -hmm. uh, that sort of existential crisis or yeah. not even existential, but just like whatever, like that self relationship, that yeah. we all have to figure out and master in some way. And um, that's actually going to be a big theme in, in our next episode, just to plug, nice. I don't know why I'm doing this, but <laughs> plug the, the parkour history series. That's mm. it actually might air before <coughs> this one. But um, if you haven't checked it out, the Raymond Bell is a very interesting mm. case of, of grappling with that issue. And I think, yeah, anyways, but can you talk to me, tell me more about how your individual journey was and like when, you started, how did you shift it? Like, what did your practice, how did it evolve through that, that problem and that solution? Yeah. I mean, so like in the beginning, obviously I'm not even like aware of mm. it. Right. You're just like doing kind of what feels right. And, and pushing yourself and trying to train super hard. 
but you don't really have a concept. At least I didn't have a concept of overtraining or anything like that. I didn't think, you know, like I had at that time zero, you know, sports science, like knowledge or research under my belt. And so it was pretty much just like, okay, like the harder you train, the better you're going to get. So mm -hmm. just like push as hard as you can <laughs> yeah. all day, every day. And, and thankfully as like a young kid, you know, going through puberty and all these kinds of things, you're pretty resilient for that kind of yeah. stuff. <laughs> so there's not really like a better time to do that. You know, I never had any issues with like Osgood slaughters, like some people get, you know, with the growth plates, I'm short oh, as hell, yeah. was always short <laughs> as hell. So I was already ready to go uh, impact wise, thankfully. But um, yeah, I think it was just as parkour started to become more for me than just, um, yeah, just like a thing to do, you know, as I started mm. trying to like integrate it in my life, as I saw that there were these other opportunities you know i was like one of the first i think sponsored athletes in the u.s through american parkour and the tribe because mm -hmm. at the time when i got signed up with them they were sponsored by k-swiss um because sebastian Foucault was doing like the ariaki thing with them you know trying to sell a 130 dollar shoe to the poorest <laughs> <laughs> sports i got a pair somehow yeah yeah, uh, yeah. No, and they gave out so many free of, pairs yeah they gave out some free ones uh but um you know like as I started to see this, I think also as like a viable career path. And then just through like the natural, I think curiosity that I had is seeing <clears throat> kind of pushing towards the edge of like, what's more, what's more realizing like, okay, I, I can phys physically and technically push the limits, but, and, and mentally through like a fear side, right. There's that obviously in parkour. Mm -hmm. um, but I think one of the things that interested me most is kind of like what I call like that horizontal progression, right? So I can mm. always, you can always take a jump bigger or you can do like a more difficult skill yeah. or you can add, you know, more and more height or risk or consequence. And that's one way in my mind that you can kind of push, uh, you know, push your jumps, push your vaults, push your flips in a, in a vertical fashion. But mm -hmm. then the other I, aspect of it is like how many different ways can you do that jump mm. how many different ways can you do that vault that flip that swing whatever um and so i think through this i don't really know how i got interested mm. in it that way maybe it's because like as a smaller dude you know um i was not ever like the biggest you're not jumper. gonna have like yeah the max the biggest broad jump exactly it's gonna be some six foot 12 guy yeah exactly six foot 12 <laughs> guy exactly yeah so like yeah i could jump you know all right for my size but there's always going to be some with bigger jumps and so yeah. but the way that i found that like instead of being discouraged by that you know it was fine to support the people that like yeah man like mitch todorovic you're gonna like fly <laughs> you know what i mean yeah, yeah. <laughs> and i'll be over here doing this weird like spinny stuff <laughs> but um but so i think through that interest it started coming into that concept of like okay well mentally yeah there's like the fear side there is this creativity side of seeing how else you can apply the skills but what other like mental ways can you challenge yourself mm -hmm. you know and um i think first of all like as is natural i think for any young person getting into a thing they kind of like wrap their whole identity in with that right so like that's where the worth the big mistake in. yeah that exactly. i made <laughs> yeah, everybody makes no, everyone it. makes it yeah. right yeah and no, so it's, it's a, like but okay. it's total it's a classic yeah so like my worth now because as me as a human being still not having worth 
I can wrap my worth up into what my parkour level is, mm. which is great when you're doing good. But then when you're injured or when you, yeah. you know, have a bad day, then it's like, you know, everything tanks. So yeah. um, through seeing this and then realizing later on through like some romantic relationships and stuff like that, these other things that I had wrapped up into my identity, like being like a man of my word, like if I made a promise, I would keep that promise no matter what, for example, mm -hmm. which I think like general guidelines with life are cool. But when you create these like hard and solid black and white rules, this is when you can kind of get into some like sticky business because as much as humans would love to, you know, delineate any, anything into good and bad and black and white. Yeah. Like the world is just hundred percent, not that, you yeah. know, our <laughs> depending on our perspective, everything's different. So, um, I think like when my first, my first start towards like unwrapping myself from being, you know, every, my worth only being tied to my parkour ability was when I was like, what was it? Must've been, like 2009 or 2010 and like the the cliff notes version of it was essentially like i committed to a lady and the relationship was fine but i took what was like a strong connection with the female and because a man and hormones and all that stuff immediately said was, wait how old are you whatever uh, 33 30. now yeah no, how old oh, were was you? I? Uh, so yeah, like, like 18 or 19 or There's something like that. Baby. Exactly. <laughs> and, you <laughs> know, hormones. you have a connection with someone and you immediately think, okay, well, she's of the, op you know, she's a, someone I'm attracted to and I have a connection. So that must mean like we're going to like be romantic, you know what mm -hmm. I mean? Or be intimate or whatever. And so um, even from the beginning, there were red flags, but it was one of those things where as a man of my word, I said we were, you know, committed mm -hmm. and it ended up being one of those relationships that I think in the long term, we learned a lot and I think there's stuff that I can say was positive for sure. Mm -hmm. And we definitely like loved each other in our own way, but, um, it was just not healthy for either of us, you know? Mm -hmm. And it, and it got to the point where through, you know, arguing constantly and the similar situation, like she was probably my first like committed relationship. You know, you're just like, well, maybe this is just how relationships are supposed to be. You know, you mm -hmm. don't have any other litmus test to, to base it off of, especially if you didn't have like a, mother and father with like a good relationship or anything like that and so um i ended up through time i think we were together like almost four years um and she had some health problems and stuff like that but the the main gist of it was that i felt yeah just empty all the time like i was putting energy out but neither of us the way that we loved was received by the other if that makes sense you mm -hmm. know i'm not like fully ascribed into like this love language the love languages, thing, yeah but that's but a, it's like it's a concept. language to talk about yeah love. exactly and so <laughs> it's a certain language we it's didn't vibe in that way exactly yeah. um and i was like suicidal uh, at the time i was having uh, i had a job as a pastry chef and i was like doing my parkour stuff on the side and because my pastry chef job was like pretty good and I had like a life insurance policy and tied in with it. Mm -hmm. and I would take my motorcycle to work every day. You know, there was these moments where I'm crossing like bridges and be like, well, I feel like nothing I can do is good enough for her. Mm. And she didn't want to go back to her family. But so the least I could do is like have an accident. And then oh, at least yeah. she would have some money. I would not be in pain anymore. You know what I mean? Yeah. And, um, and then obviously 
eventually I was like, yeah, this is not a normal way to think. Like, <laughs> what the fuck That's, are you thinking? I mean, thank God you recognize that. Yeah, but yeah, exactly. it's like, it's a totally understandable state of mind to get in. And, you know, almost everyone in their lifetime gets, not everyone, but a lot of people yeah. in, the, in today's world because there's so much sickness and disease in like, yeah, whatever. And no, I don't open tough. that can of worms. <laughs> but basically it's, it's not uncommon that people mm-hmm. get to that suicidal position. Yeah, I mean, I think there's, yeah, every culture has its own like brand of it. Or just and, like, yeah, it's like, I'll just, I mean, yeah, especially on the bike, you're like, well, I'm going fast. Yeah, it could happen exactly. like in the next moment. It wouldn't be, it's just you entertain that stuff. And then you're like, yeah. oh my God, I probably shouldn't be thinking like that. Yeah. It's like, I think I've seen like on Twitter or whatever. It's like, oh, do you have any depressive thoughts? He's like, yeah, doesn't everybody? He's <laughs> like, no. <laughs> Some people don't. So, um, yeah, thankfully, exactly. I, I realized like this is not a normal way to feel. And then through therapy, like we did couples therapy at first and I'm realizing like I'm lying to this therapist Mm. and then I'm asking myself afterwards, like why, you know, Mm. what's the whole purpose of me lying to this therapist and then realizing actually I'm just lying to myself to like take, we had, of course, no, like I said, no, nothing is fully black, fully white or whatever. So we had good moments in these relationships and I would hold on to those good moments like, you know, like they were the relationship mm-hmm. and not, and put a blind eye to all the, the negative sides. And so once I like realized that I was doing that and then through, like I said, the therapy and then just like this, I don't know, self-awareness or this interest in meta thought, you know, thinking mm-hmm. about my thoughts or whatever, I realized or had traced it back to the fact that like, oh, okay, because I, wrapped into my identity this idea that i will always stick to my word you know i'm actually lying to myself i'm lying to this like therapist mm. and it's yeah, all you because got, you centered around this one thing yeah. and then it actually paradoxically makes you the opposite of this exactly like you know whatever you decide <laughs> you're gonna be i'm gonna put myself in this box mm-hmm. you'll fucking find yourself anywhere but inside the box 100 so crazy so i realized that and then was like, okay, it's because I committed to her. You know, we weren't married or anything, but I mm. had verbally committed to her. And then I asked myself then, okay, so what if I just say it's over then? And then I realized like, just the thought process of time was like, okay, like, man, yeah, maybe it'll be harder for her in the beginning, but like every moment that we're together, we're more likely to be fighting than enjoying each other's time. So it's like just pure logic. It's mm. probably going to be better for both of us in the long term if we end it. You know mm. what I mean? And as soon as I... Like, as you said, like I put myself in this box. I thought of it as like, I put myself in the prison, right? It's like mm. the, there's like the two types of prisons, one where you can yeah. see the bars and the ones where you can't see the bars. Like I had no idea through my own identity of being a person of my word had put myself in this prison where I ended up, you know, being suicidal and in like a, in a overall negative relationship for, you know, three or mm. four years. Um, and so it was funny though, once I realized that it was like a switch. Like I felt like everything went better. It was like, it was almost like a movie. Like I could hear like the birds chirping. I felt like my driving skills were better. My like parkour <laughs> wow. skills were better. Everything, you know, and obviously it was a hard conversation and mm, to, totally. to like break up with, with this person or whatever. But, um, but you get back that energy, that yeah, piece of you exactly. that you sectioned off. And it's like, it's like a splinter of kryptonite in mm-hmm. Superman. Even if splinter is going to fucking take away all the powers, even yeah. if he, you know, he might be a man, just a regular man, <laughs> yeah. but he's not going to be Superman unless he takes that little shard out. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I think it was like this, I don't know if it's happenstance or whatever it is, but this like 
serendipitous event kind of helped me understand like, okay, I, I also thought of myself as a parkour person, someone that like knows myself and knows what I'm capable of, but I realized I had this huge blind spot, mm. you know what I mean? And so I think that humbled me a lot in like the, the mental side of things. Thankfully it didn't take me into like a place of like overthinking of self doubt, but if it made me realize like, okay, there's a whole lot more to explore internally than I originally understood, mm. you know, as a, like an 18 or 19 year old kid or whatever. Um, and so from that, it was just kind of like, you know, periodic moments where then I, you know, I still hadn't addressed any of like my childhood trauma, for example, at this point mm -hmm. or whatever. But it's like, I think that's, that's the moment that kind of started me on that path. And then I think the thing that what I, was the moment, the serendipitous moment, the, was it like, was, it was just, yeah, real. I mean, I, f it was just this realization. Yeah. It was it like realizing like, that I was lying to oh, okay, yeah, the okay. therapist, even though he was trying it to was help me. It was everything that you just talked about. I exactly. thought for a second that there was like another thing. No, 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 no. Sorry. And no, it was I just found exactly a quarter that. on the ground. And <laughs> yeah. It was me. Like, <laughs> yeah, it was like the Zoolander thing. Like yeah, <laughs> looking at myself in a spoon. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I don't know, but no. Sorry, please continue. Though. No, you're good. Yeah. So just, you know, considering myself as an honest person, but realizing to hold on to this bit of truth, I ended up lying to myself and all these other people. Mm -hmm. Was like that moment when I realized that I one that I just wasn't doing what was in my own best interest. Right. And mm -hmm. then, and that's when I started to shift more from like a black and white type of perspective slowly, obviously through time. Mm -hmm. Um, and realizing that there's like a whole lot more to, uh, progress than mm -hmm. just like training harder or doing this or, Love you it. know, sticking to your word or that kind of stuff. You know, there's, there's a lot of analysis and awareness and this kind of like internal development that can also have just as much, benefit as like you know if you have a wall you can like punch at the wall until you break through it or you can climb over it or you can go around it or maybe you realize dissolve you actually, it yeah whatever there's a million things right yeah 100 percent. so um <laughs> maybe you realize you don't need to be on the other side of that wall yeah it could be for yeah, sure there's so many i mean sorry i'm getting <laughs> no, I don't, but, it's right. it, but basically i love where you're going with it this um this this is like a pillow i made for the it's called the dimension line oh. um for the for the podcast because mm -hmm. i just like it's this is some of the journey that i feel like everyone ultimately maybe goes on mm -hmm. i don't know not everyone everyone's got shades but we in, hope right but like, there's like a sort of like an, a self-realization or self-actualization process mm -hmm. that has parallels across like you know multiple humans mm -hmm. and most people yeah. and this resonates so hard with me i love what you're saying man <laughs> it's like and, and it's so cool that you actually were i I think that, you know, for me, this happened years after I was 18, but mm -hmm. you know, it was really cool that you found yourself able to, to work through some of these things that early in life. I think a lot of people, it's actually not that early where mm -hmm. it actually happens. Some people die and they never even get to this yeah. like trauma that they've been holding on to or the next step or, you know, whatever, like whatever prisons they put inside or mm -hmm. themselves inside. There's so much there. Oh man, I think it's like so powerful. I didn't know we were going to go here, but I think it's so cool because I don't know that like, this is a question that I've also been pondering some for some time is mm -hmm. does parkour actually, you know, there's a certain natural, everyone's just alive. Right. And just yeah. part of being alive is, is dealing with these questions mm -hmm. and dealing with these, trying to heal yourself and, and do, I mean, this is sort of the story of our generation in a way. Yeah, I yeah. think like these questions are coming up in a way that they haven't before. Mm -hmm. Um, at least, you know, not like this, whatever. They're, yeah. Yeah, they're the same questions. They're ancient, but also they're, they're new in, in 
how they're coming up. Mm-hmm. But um, th- I think parkour can actually accelerate the process like and it did for you and it did for me. Yeah, and so yeah. I think that's why parkour is so cool and so powerful because like you said, there's vertical development and there's, you know, horizontal development mm-hmm. or, you know, whatever dimensions you want to yeah, put on exactly. it. But, um, and then you realize that parkour, the way you're like thinking about parkour is just a vertical thing amongst a whole other terrain of things, you know, and yeah. dimensions. That's why I call it dimension. I'm like, there's just infinite dimensions yeah, it makes to, like, 100% to sense, look at. Yeah. And, um, and so I just like love everything about what you, <laughs> you said, cause it also just helps me feel better about, you know, some of the things I haven't talked about, you know, with, with someone like you. And yeah, so yeah. it's cool to, to hear it reflected back in some ways. No, but, for sure. So how did, so then how was your practice? I don't even know where, <laughs> I don't know where to go, but like, how did your practice change? Like we, we talked about, you were the, you know, now we can, we kind of talked about it, but also mm. like, where are you at now with that journey? Or also, do you want to fill in before we go there? <clears throat> you know, okay. You were now one of the first or the first, I don't know, like yeah, first so team of the tribe that was mm-hmm. American parkour. And let's like maybe get us up to speed before okay. we go back into so that. So back back to back to parkour. Back to the history. history. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. So I started. I think I'm a first generation American practitioner for parkour. Mm-hmm. I was definitely uh, amongst the first to start in Texas, as far as I know. It was pretty much me and the Tap Brothers starting mm-hmm. around the same time. Um, and I think pretty much from 2003 up until maybe 2007 i didn't really have you know no nobody really maybe knew much about me up until that and then i think the american parkour boards came out in like 2005 or 2006 or something like that i can't remember when uh mark you know m2 ended up starting those but being involved in those and then you know starting to find other similar you know practitioners and people because like that's especially when you i didn't really have many other people to train with like I had some friends and slowly was able to get them into training and they were super into it you know for a number of years Mm -hmm. but uh but eventually you know life happens and they started getting into other things um so predominantly I feel like my first I don't know six or seven years of training was was solo Mm -hmm. you know but as I start to realize and see that there's this other national community and get old enough to actually be able to like travel or do something about it. That's when I, I think I did my first national jam was like a PKNY, maybe in like 2007 or 2006. Um, and that's when I met like Travis Graves, who's another like old guy from mm-hmm. Michigan, a uh, beast in the community, mostly doing stuff with APK. Um, and I'm sure I met other people, but it was because we were in the same hostel. We had this nice moment where like there was supposed to be an opening ceremony at the soldiers and, something i can't remember the spot but it's one of the spots near the upper west side that has like a bunch of cool stuff but Mm. nobody that ended up getting canceled but we were like man we came from michigan we came from texas like we're here to train so we like ran through harlem at like three in the morning getting like (laughs) catcalled and yelled at by like the locals (laughs) and then we show up to this like pretty dope spot and then we just like send it you know what i mean and then that was this was before obviously like this kind of like self-realization stuff but it was like a huge hit to my ego in a positive way when I realized like, okay, all this stuff that I've been doing like on my own mostly um, in Texas had been paying off because I was like one of the best at the gym. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Like I was, I was able to do things, most of the things that people were doing and at least had this, now I had an external like 
what's the word? Yeah, like an external validation. You know yeah, what I mean? yeah. Not necessarily the best thing, but it, that's what happened, right? Um, and then that kind of continued. Um, ended up meeting the next year. I met Jesse Danger and hit it off with him. I think I met Tyson as well that year. And these were kind of like the first like big influences as far as my like as far as other like first generation people in the US. Um and for those who don't know, Tyson Cheka, mm-hmm, who's yep. like the founding one of the founding members of Parkour Visions in Seattle. Mm-hmm. And um and Jesse Danger who's mm-hmm. like now, you know, still running the movement creative. They just had an awesome event, but in New York anyhow. Yeah, exactly. So yeah, uh you know, beasts of their time. I mean Jesse's still training, Tyson's still doing stuff. Like he's he was one of the first people to be pushing um, like the standards of building practices that, you know, mm-hmm. Apex and every other gym that, you know, wants to be something like, you know, holds themselves to. Yeah. So, um, sturdy made house shag, sturdy made. There you Shout go. out sturdy made. Exactly. <laughs> um, so those were like the first people that I kind of vibed with and then started, um, what's it called? And then I started traveling more. So I, you know, I went to plenty of national jams, eventually started, um, our own kind of national jam in Texas, but somehow, um, ah, that's how it was. During the K-Swiss tour, I ended up getting the attention of Mark Turok and the tribe um, because they did something in Dallas and we went there and, you know, I represented well um, at the time. And that's, I think, how I started getting into the tribe. So that's mm-hmm. how I ended up meeting Ryan Ford and uh, Billy. He's not in the scene much anymore. He does, like, video stuff, but all the... You know, first gen people, Frosty, he's another big old OG one. Um, so the tribe like had at least a couple maybe iterations before me, but I think when they started trying to be more of just a, like a East Coast, New England type team, and they got Tyson and they got Ryan and then they got me, um, that's kind of when I think things that was like near the height, I guess, of my popularity <laughs> as a as a parkour athlete, um, because like the forums were still, you know, a big thing. Yeah. Um, and then being on the tribe meant something in that in that moment. <laughs> um, God, man, yeah, it's crazy, like how the torch, just the baton, I should say, gets passed, like in so many different directions, yeah. and it's like, yeah, like what the tribe was is like you could think, I mean, like. Th- is what you know i mean we don't actually have necessarily the same thing going on right now but you can think of it as like tempest is kind of carrying that baton i Mm -hmm. can say more than anyone right now in terms of like setting you know the american um standard Mm -hmm. for whatever producing like the kind of content that means something to parkour athletes Mm -hmm. but um yeah, it's, it's, uh, that's another topic, but it's always been fascinating <laughs> how, you know, ever since, I mean, the tribe had a few different iterations. Merm mm-hmm. had that kind of torch, I think, for a little while, like kind of carrying the a little bit of that American flame on mm-hmm. this side of the pond. Always there's like a little bit of, you know, our own flavor over here than what happens in Europe and England and, and everything has its own thing. But, mm-hmm. um, but it's interesting to me that, America always like has so much, it feels still has so much potential. And yet there's, there's just like, there's certain logistics that make it difficult for for something to really blossom in the way that we've seen with store or Mm. with um, some of the things that are happening in England, especially England, but other places too. Germany's got, you know, some, everywhere's got some good places and and America does have good places too, you know? Yeah. I mean, you know, the world chase tech thing is big right now, but Mm -hmm. anyway, 
Yeah, I mean, I think, right, first, America's, like, big as hell. People don't really understand that, you know, mm -hmm. like, for example, if I were to drive to Colorado to go train with you from, like, my hometown, San Antonio, it's, like, what, 20-something hours, right? Um, <laughs> it's a flight instead of a yeah, drive. Yeah, it's a flight. I'm concerned. And it's, and it's not a cheap <laughs> flight like they yeah. have in Europe, right? Yeah. And so um, I think that's a piece of it. I think I feel like Americans in general are pretty headstrong. I, I don't necessarily know why. Yeah, there's something about <laughs> it. There's a culture out here. So I, I feel like there's been nice moments where there's, like, this opportunity for a bunch of you know, leaders in the community or something like this to come together. But because everybody ends up wanting to lead, it devolves and, mm -hmm. and ends up, you know, petering out or doesn't work. Um, so I don't know that. Yeah, exactly. That's like a whole different kind of conversation, yeah. I guess. But, um, but yeah, so essentially tribe was on that up until 2012, you know, Knox was on the tribe. That's how I, was I met you it. was through Knox. Mm -hmm. You came out to Colorado at one point. Yeah. Or maybe I was in DC even. I don't even know. I feel like the very first time we met was at a Ninja Warrior thing when they went when they were doing it in Dallas or something like oh, that. Oh yeah, yeah. That's it. That's mm -hmm. it. The Dallas one. Mm -hmm. Actually flew I flew a one prop plane down yeah, to there. Yeah, yeah. And that was like Yeah, that was so fun. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I don't remember how that day I mean, I remember I did pretty well, but I remember um I just remember the other friend that you had like was doing like random building stuff Dude, and like what's the his name off times and oh my god lance okay lance <laughs> i don't remember his last name right now but if i ever get the chance i'll put lance on the podcast because yeah. lance is an He's absolute crazy. insane <laughs> yeah so i remember that's the first time meeting you i think it was my 21st birthday actually um and and yeah so i was on the tribe at first it did mean something for a little while and like as an 18 year old kid being sponsored like i think we were making like i think each athlete got something like ten thousand a year to do parkour you know we got free shoes we were also getting uh that's good money today still yeah exactly we i were, mean for to do parkour at least yeah 100 percent. like i don't know what what monetary sponsorships are going on now i think x dubai probably has something um but it was definitely like for the time good. And I think for now it, I would, I would still be stoked to get like yeah, yeah. that kind of sponsorship. <laughs> for sure. Um, and yeah, we were doing performance jobs and all that kind of stuff and things were, were cool. Uh, like I said, up until like 2012, like the recession was a little bit of a big hit and I know like the sponsorship dropped and then we had to also, I know, you know, I was doing odd jobs and stuff like that, but it wasn't like that tough. But um, I think the, the thing that then switched for me was realizing that the tribe was supposed to be a team, but it really wasn't. It was really like Mark's thing. Mm -hmm. and, and I think Mark is a great guy. Um, I think when I left, I definitely, I already like apologized to him via email after, but I left in kind of like an abrupt way because of, you know, learning that it was actually Mark's thing. And if you weren't down with that, then like, too bad right yeah. and and the the thing that ended it for me was uh vinny who's another beast uh the coriel mm -hmm. uh, grand junction right um and he has some autoimmune thing i can't remember what it is cystic called. fibrosis thank you cystic fibrosis and like his life expectancy was super low mm -hmm. he wanted to he was on the tribe he wanted to do the art of motion um, which was like the only big comp at the time, I think. I don't think NAPC was a thing yet or anything else really. Mm -hmm. um, and because APK didn't want to support 
Red Bull stuff because of energy drinks being bad, which I understand. I don't drink it. You know what I mean? It's not my thing. But yeah. but they were, you know, putting money into parkour. And this dude who's amazing at parkour, of course, I would want to support this opportunity for him, right? Yeah. To have this experience, especially if his life expectancy is supposed to be like 10 years from that point. He's not going to be around anymore, you know? Yeah. Um, and so it ended up being that moment where the majority of us on the tribe were like, yeah, Vinny should be able to do it. And we should be able to do it. Uh, but Mark wasn't down for that, so I I immediately left the tribe actually. <laughs> then, so that was like 2012. It's a walkout. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, and I uh, think shortly after, like I know Dylan left. Yeah, um, I remember that. Dylan Baker went to Merm, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> we snatched him up. Yeah, exactly. No, I mean, yeah, yeah, that was. I mean, that's a whole other again. That story hopefully will be told one day too. Yeah, um, with Dylan, but. Oh my God. Um, but yeah, yeah, no, it's, it's, it, it was crazy. Yeah. That, that was when that, the tribe sort of dissolved mm -hmm. 2012 ish. Yeah. Is that what you said. Yeah. So things started changing from there. Everything and I know. was changing around that time. Mm -hmm. And, uh, that was like the end of my, I feel like my notoriety and like the national scene. I obviously had good connections from like traveling and stuff like mm -hmm. that, but that's when I like really just put my head down and started working on, uh, like a teaching business in, in San Antonio. Mm. And so, um, I started with APK teaching as well, like in 2009, obviously I left in 2012 cause I didn't want to have anything to do with him at the time with APK or the tribe or anything. Um, and so I started parkour San Antonio then, um, I think cause I was teaching since 2009. I went from like, also since I, I was like, a college dropout because I was already making enough money with parkour to not care <laughs> about stuff. Um, I also didn't have any business experience, so didn't know anything at all in the beginning of, um, uh, about business. I was super interested in teaching and, and training though. My first like professional student was, uh, like a 57 year old woman and she had previously broken her spine, was missing an ACL and, and like for whatever reason she wanted to train parkour. <laughs> and I was like, dope okay let's badass. like yeah let's go um <laughs> but i don't want to hurt you you know so um you know i started that really started having me dive deep into um just researching you know anatomy and sports science physiology um kinesiology was actually the thing that i started doing in college before i dropped out mm -hmm. before that i thought i wanted to be a chef and that was going to be my career path exactly <laughs> um but obviously with the parkour stuff kicking off, I was like, okay, maybe I should find something in that realm. Mm. Um, and so, I mean, the lovely thing about the internet is you can, if you really do want to learn it, like the information's out there, right? So um, obviously the parkour and still now the parkour research is still quite young and new, but I mean, there's hundreds of years of sports science research, mm -hmm. right? Um, and so just through that, through my own trial and error and experimentation, um, started getting better at teaching and realizing like this is a whole separate skill set in addition to you know like obviously there's athletes and then there's like coaches and you don't have to you know not every athlete's going to be a good coach not every coach is going to be a good athlete kind of thing um, but it just happened to be something that I also enjoyed too I liked mm. I really I think from having my martial arts teacher again be like one of the first positive male influences my life and realizing like okay like this is like what this is how another human can help someone you know mm -hmm. you can give them something as simple as a cool technique or a move but you can also like 
give them these lessons to you know be a more critical thinker to be more aware you know so i think that's really helped me understand the that the concept side of stuff was just as important if not more so um for having longevity in a sport and in life honestly right so mm. um because it helps you navigate you know the the different obstacles that you might deal with and sadly most of the obstacles we deal with in our lives are not walls and, <laughs> and oh, if they yeah. were only walls <laughs> exactly. and rails we'd be so we'd be king <laughs> exactly we'd be living like freaking sultans man no um, yeah that's hilarious um but um yeah so ended up getting a decent enough business like i had a couple part-timers i was able to like live and not have to worry um, I worked with Jesse most summers because San Antonio is too hot. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I ran, uh, the winter jam, uh, and, and started it back in San Antonio since it was the, the first jam to happen in the winter, um, because everybody else was summer jams, but nobody wants to train in 115 degree <laughs> weather, <laughs> which is fine. Um, and I know we were one of the first jams to start to get permits for what we were doing. So we had... Uh, permits for all the spots we had insurance sponsored usually by like woof puff or whatever that was the other thing too like i i there was a lot of this like clickiness like okay are you with abk are you with woof puff are you you know i it's like game of thrones (laughs) parkour life or whatever everyone's vying for that so i thankfully didn't really care and i had good (laughs) enough good enough contacts you know with victor and eventually was back on good terms with mark too Mm -hmm. um and with the tempest guys as well at least and so it was easy enough to get for that event get gear you know uh get sponsored with gear some of them like i said i think wolf puff was usually sponsoring our insurance which was awesome thankfully san antonio is like cheap as hell and most of the permits were free as long as you had insurance so I think there was a couple times where we had like a couple hundred dollars to rent out a pavilion. Um, but it was, it was definitely an event that I was like super, super proud of just because I knew some people were still doing like the jams gorilla style, which is nothing wrong with that, yeah. but it's a bit of a shame when you have like, you know, a hundred people and then and like you, you get, get kicked, kicked out, out. <laughs> and then it's like trying to round up. Oh my God. I've been mean, to so many, like just like weird walkthroughs of campus with like police like 40 feet behind us like keep it moving (laughs) (laughs) yeah and it was just the way jams were for a long time that is incredible i didn't realize that i'm sad i never made it down to winter jam because i always saw footage of it and i was like god damn it looks fun yeah uh, max told me and it makes sense too like again not being in like a a traditional family it was never a thought like okay like there's thanksgiving and then there's like christmas and then there's new year Mm. so this is like all these people that are already taking holiday and then you're not, maybe ours was always the first weekend after new year's. Oh, yeah. So it wasn't like, I think in hindsight, I realized, well, not in hindsight, last time I saw Max last week. <laughs> <laughs> like, Oh yeah. I, re- I was like, yeah, okay. That makes sense. It was not necessarily the most accessible uh, time for people to jump, but still, I think at, a, at the height that I was running it, we had on our busiest day, you know, over 200 people, Wow. At it, which was pretty dope. That's huge for a jam, especially. And and it was usually a four-day event. And I think our lowest day on that that biggest weekend was still like over 100. So I'm not sure how many people jammed the whole day. But, you know, it was definitely something that I was proud of and happy to to be able to do. And and thankful to the city of San Antonio for being cheap for it, (laughs) for what it was. And and for the sponsors that were able to help uh, 
make it possible as well as the people on the ground obviously the other san antonio community members that that helped make it happen mm. um and so i yeah i did that in i was san antonio holding things down with parkour sa winter jam stuff like that up until um 2016 and that's when i went to uh dubai for parkour dxp mm. um and that was a bit of an interesting one it was mm. it was definitely an opportunity where i thought i would just like learn some stuff and come back to use it but it ended up being another one of those like formative kind of like switches where i'm realizing like oh okay there's actually a lot more that i'm still not aware of <laughs> that you know i i can still be learning and so i mean i think that moment that I was, we talked about in the past with, with that relationship that I had broken off. It was like understanding, understanding that I was missing something, but it would end up being just kind of like the tip of the iceberg. Yeah. You pull yeah. on that thread. You're like, Oh, there's levels to this exactly. game. Exactly. <laughs> so, um, so yeah. Senate or so Dubai was like another big one of those. Um, what was that around? Like, what was, can you define, like, is it easy to, even encapsulate that or is it possible yeah i think i mean what was the lesson there that you needed to learn so the first thing i guess was i mean it was one of those cliche like don't meet your hero kind of things but i don't want to say it was that bad because i've heard like horror stories with that (laughs) and i think steph steph is a cool dude i love training with him we had always had good talks but but i think there's always a certain weight of expectation when you only see somebody in a certain capacity, right? Yeah. It's hard. I had like passed into unknowingly that little bit of a place of like idolatry. You know what mm. I mean? So I'm I'm sure you're well aware of like all the like David Bell like worshippers and stuff like that. Oh, and yeah. he actually seemed to I had never met him, so I can't say, but uh. he seemed to be not that cool of a dude actually. <laughs> <laughs> you know? Um, yeah, yeah. It's like yeah. And and so definitely up for debate. Yeah. And so <laughs> Steph like. was a was a great guy. But he was also just a, a human at the end of the day. You exactly. know what I mean? That's what we, yeah, that's the, le- I mean, we're all human, right? And exactly. It's, it's and really so hard. I, but I came with these expectations that were, were not realistic actually for him to meet. Right. Mm. And he was already going into a tough time. And so that like from the beginning changed my understanding of what was, what this gig, what, which ended up being job and like bit of a career path in Dubai, um, you know, switch the focus of what it being of, of what it was mm. because they had come from uh, working in Thailand and I think things can go a little bit more loose and fast there. And Dubai definitely was trying to hold itself to like that American or that like European standard of how like a company should be run, you mm-hmm. know, with simple things like waivers <laughs> and, and insurance and, you know, all that kind Building of stuff. codes and yeah. fire codes and all that exactly. crap. Exactly. Um, and so I, you know, I never got anything as big as like what Apex got or, you know, Parkour Visions got, but I had, you know, a nice thing going on and I knew enough that I was like, okay, so I had originally come to Parkour DXB to learn from Steph to also learn how they ran their business so that mm-hmm. I could then take that and infuse it back into Parkour SA. But then I had realized, like, actually, they need my help to help them, you know, get all their things settled mm-hmm. for how to run uh, Parkour DXB. And then Steph was not in, like, the emotional state, really, to to be the mentor that I had wished that I had had in that moment, you mm-hmm. know. So mm-hmm. um, it was kind of one of those things where I got there and I just kind of, like, had to put my nose to the grindstone and get, like, working to help them keep this thing rolling, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, so... 
I ended up finding my niche with them in more of like the curriculum development, the teacher training, um, as we started getting more people, obviously, and um, maintaining what I would call like the integrity of like the product, making sure that our teaching standards were were still held high and finding that that sweet spot balance through Chris, which is the the partner of Steph, Stefan Vigru. Um, you know, Chris got to be able to handle like the business side of things and, and deal with the investors. And then it was Steph and then me towards the end there, making sure that, you know, we were still not having to, not having a bad student coach ratio, making sure that the curriculums we were doing were actually like mm. relevant to what we wanted to. And we weren't just like, you know, as can happen, I'm sure you've seen like a lot of times, <laughs> maybe it just turns into babysitting. Really, yeah, I was right? gonna, exactly. <laughs> I was like, a lot of people just that's, they don't even care. Yeah. Like they're like, yeah, daycare is works for me. Please just take my son and daughter off my hands. They're going in crazy. <laughs> exactly. Do something with them for an hour and a half. hundred percent. And, but so, also <laughs> they also sort of know that it's like, do something good though. Yeah, no, exactly. Like, they be hope. that, be that role model, please. Mm -hmm. And you're like, all right. I mean, I get paid twelve dollars an hour, but you know, I'll be a role model for your kid. I'll teach your kid the things that your, his father's not teaching him. If you really want me to do it, yeah, I'll well, try. Sure. <laughs> yeah, exactly. We'll try. But I mean, but that, but that's it, right? Like, yeah, you. At the bare minimum, we could have totally been just a daycare, kind, you know, glorified daycare, and, and mm -hmm. make it happen, but. Uh, since teaching was something that I ended up also being passionate about, it was a good opportunity to kind of like push and test that. And it's a completely different environment than America. You know what I mean? We yeah. Were, um, my first like Indian students and Pakistani students and Arabic students um, and European students were, you know, from there. Oh, wow. Um, and so really getting to see what sticks and what doesn't stick depending on, you know, language barriers and cultural, ba uh, cultural differences and all that kind of stuff was, was a super cool experience. And to be in as high paced, uh, a work environment as Dubai was, was awesome. You know what I mean? Mm. Um, and it was definitely, it's super, super hard. Like the, the backs, the, the behind the scenes stuff was I was on the cusp of, getting a loan and trying to invest in a gym actually for San Antonio mm. so that we could have our own like legit facility. And I was going to have two of the other, um, community members leading it. I know, uh, actually a couple of them. So there was mostly, it was Thomas Stillings at the time, Mike Avery, and then Devin Martin. And, um, I wanted to, like I said, I was right on the cusp of making it happen, but then this Dubai thing came up and I was still committed and interested uh, Dylan Gates was also in there. There's a lot of people actually, but Dylan Gates was mostly with me. Mm -hmm. And then the other guys were like free agents. You know, we like hustled where we could like in gymnastics mm -hmm. gyms or something like that. But I wanted to bring us all together, you know? Um, but it made them feel a little bit, uh, unsure of my commitment to the parkour SA project when I went to Dubai, rightly so. Right. I wasn't going to be there. Um, and we also had like some bad, Texas leaders in the beginning of the scene when me and Mike were super young mm. uh, and we ended up kind of getting taken advantage of. It wasn't like nearly at all to the extent of like an easy style type thing, but it was a similar thing, mm -hmm. you know, where we weren't given the information we wanted to be given. We were just told to trust and make it happen. And that actually we shouldn't really have been trusting that much. Yeah. Um, so with all that wrapped up and with me leaving, they were like, okay, maybe Jeremy's just going to do another, you know, 
MLW Matthew Lee Willis thing and take more money than he needs mm. and you know we're just going to be screwed again which is not at all what I wanted to do and not all what I did like I ran Parkour SA for a year remotely and I only paid myself for like that hour of work that I did like an admin that needed and I give everything else to the people that were coaching because that's what makes sense right mm -hmm. um, but that being said they went off and did their own parkour essay thing so when that first happened or not parkour essay they opened uh, jump flip land which is now like parkour ninjas I think but so that was like I was definitely hurt in that moment because mm -hmm. I would have completely understood if they were just telling me like yo man we mm -hmm. don't think you're going to be able to be in it because you're there now and I've been like okay sweet fair enough like go mm -hmm. do your thing like best of luck but they didn't tell me anything about it they just kind of did it you know yeah. which is also the other thing as being awkward like parkour people we don't really know how to deal with potential conflict or yeah. have these tough conversations with people right yeah and it's a yeah it's a parkour thing it's a young person's thing mm -hmm. and it's just an experience and and sometimes it's yeah I don't know yeah it's just like it's like you don't know what anyone's journey is on like with Stefan it's like they could just be at that moment in their life, like where they're in their lowest, mm -hmm. most critical or like most difficult part of their journey. And yeah, it's just exactly. like, you just don't really know what's going on with people. So it's hard to, you know, it doesn't really serve yourself to do too much judgment about some, some yeah. people's behaviors, but anyhow. Yeah. So it was, I mean, it was easy in that moment, sadly for me to get like upset about it and then treat it as like a personal attack. But when mm -hmm. in reality, they had their own stuff going on and obviously all of our inabilities to maybe fully express ourselves, you know, it was just how it went. Right. So like, there's no, no bad blood now, yeah. you know, thankfully. Um, but it's one of those things where another lesson where it's like, I realized a lot of the things that you might take personally, honestly have nothing to do mm -hmm. with you at all. And people most often hurt each other out of a lack of awareness than actual malice, right? Or, or mm. you know, never willful. ascribe a malice, I think, to what where ignorance will suffice. Yeah, or something like exactly. That. It's an old proverb of who knows what. Yeah, Confucius. Socrates or know. something. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, that might have been Marcus Aurelius, actually. Marcus Aurelius. That's it would make more sense <laughs> that it was him for that quote. <laughs> <laughs> but um, so that like started my what's the wheels turning of like okay so maybe. I'm not as welcome in San Antonio as I thought. Mm -hmm. um, and then I was also in another relationship at the time. I ended I was kind of a bit of a serial monogamist um, and had realized through the, the long distance that I still didn't really in like just a human outside of parkour Jeremy or teacher Jeremy know who I was, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Or the things that I had wanted to do. Um, or the kind of person that I wanted to be aside. So I started kind of seeing, um, again, that not that I wasn't happy, but that I was um, just avoiding getting to know myself more or like face my, in this case, like my childhood, like emotional demons or whatever, mm -hmm. you know? Oh yeah, because it it's a coping mechanism, but yeah, it's like eventually it's like, what are you, are you escaping from, you know? Are mm -hmm. you turning away from... That's so interesting we put that. I think that's very powerful. Knowing who you are outside of these other things. And yeah, like, outside you of really your want, what, you, what kind of person of you want to be? It's like, have you really even asked these questions for, of yourself recently? Yeah, 100%. When's the last time, if ever, you've asked these questions? Exactly, and I realized 
I wasn't. <laughs> <laughs> I was just putting my energy into the relationship, you know what I mean? And being being that unit and then being the teacher and being the parkour practitioner, mm. being the community leader. Um, but I I started to understand that these are all actually things that I do. These really have nothing to do with who I am. Mm. Um, and that's like when I started getting this realization in um, in Dubai and so I ended up, after my first year there, I, I broke up with my uh, girlfriend at the time, and I sold all my parkour stuff in San Antonio to Parkour Ninjas, <laughs> <laughs> and I you know, fully committed to Dubai for like the next two years, so I was there three years total, mm. and um, I think I made a lot of really you know, good connections there. Some of my, one of my best friends, the guy that I work with, Explore Parkour now, mm. um, is there and I started like I think that's where I started really seeing that kind of as I as I had said that we are all just human beings and mm. we do these things but these things are not at all tied to who our identity is as a person mm. um, and that also that journey helped me see the being single and figuring all that kind of stuff out and being in a completely new environment helped me see like these emotional and childhood traumas that I had not, um, what's the word that I had not, um, addressed, you know, that mm -hmm. I had not, um, worked on, I had not even really been aware of. Mm. And it was, it was a really funny thing because those in my perspective ended up actually being one of the biggest keys for, uh, increasing my mental confidence game in parkour mm. so like i was never like one of the as if we were talking like mental game i was always probably one of the the least strong you know what i mean in that yeah. realm especially like when i went to uh colorado for the second time <laughs> trained with dylan baker and like his stomping ground seeing the stuff that he's doing even seeing the stuff that you're doing that mm. knox is doing and being like I am scared shitless of <laughs> all of these things and <laughs> you know, yeah. Um, there's been some, I mean, yeah, the, yeah. Dylan's mental game is yeah ridiculous. Next level, something else for yeah. sure. Um, but, but Colorado in general has in like Colorado, a lot of good yeah, beasts. A lot of, a lot of crazy shit has gone down. Really here. strong, strong mental game. It's the air, man. <laughs> I don't know. It's the thin air. And then <laughs> everything else backing it up, you know? And, um, I, I had obviously wanted that, but it wasn't something that I felt like, you know, like, okay, you, to get stronger, that's easy. You mm -hmm. just, you know, have to train correctly, eat correctly, rest well, you know, mm -hmm. and, um, and, and it can happen. Technical stuff, right? You, you can work on it. You can analyze, you can find people that are also good at that thing. And, and through that you can reach those. But the, that mental side of things where it was like, where the fear was irrational, mm. that was when it was like, okay, well, we don't really have a way to like help you with that. Yeah. If you have a rational fear, you know, there's progressions, there's mm -hmm. getting comfortable with the environment. There's getting comfortable with the skill. There's taking your time, you know, there's uh, ice breaking it, having somebody else do the move first, mm -hmm. you know, there's countdowns, there's numerous rituals that you can do that can help you commit to something that you are rationally afraid of. Mm -hmm. But I had realized that I had lots of irrational fears based on this fact that I still deep down inside thought like, since I was worthless, maybe I actually am not as good at this stuff as I could be. Plus, um, the only other way I can describe it is like some of the childhood trauma stuff that I had not um, 
addressed was like I had these open tabs in my brain. Oh, so wow. they were they were taking up processing power yeah. to accomplish these things that I did oh, not realize. Man. And so um I you know, like I said, I was single for a while, seeing just, you know, how I would act aside from anybody else. You know, I didn't mm -hmm. have to worry about what a romantic, you know, what anybody else would think. I could just do what I wanted, right? Um and so through this exploration, it didn't really change my actions as a person much, but it definitely made me feel unhindered to just, you know, you know, you're not like, okay, well, I'm not going to do that because like, what is, you know, what's my yeah, lady yeah. at home going to think, right? You never had any, I, since I took that out of the equation, I was able to start to see these things and I ended up getting into another, meeting another really nice girl that I was not uh, mentally or emotionally capable for. And I wanted to try like being casual, for example, even though I was a serial monogamist. Mm. And despite wanting to be casual and like light and not, you know, heavy in the relationship because she like ticked all the boxes in my head, mm. my brain was like, get into a relationship with her, <laughs> you know what I mean? And so, and I realized like I could not control myself at all in this and ended up kind of like being over, not overbearing, but like kind of clingy and smothering. And then, you know, it was, it was a super small amount of time. It was like two weeks, maybe three weeks or something. Mm -hmm. But I realized like, as this person who also considers like I have control over my emotions. Mm. I, you know, I, I wouldn't consider myself a stoic, but like I definitely am interested in, in stoicism and Zen Buddhism and like this kind of like samurai Bushido type thing from like Japanese jiu-jitsu and stuff. And with that, you know, you're supposed to be someone who has control over themselves yeah. and realizing I had like this utter lack <laughs> of control in this moment. Um, it was like another light bulb where it's like, oh, okay, so this is like, this is a weak point in your person that you have been avoiding. You know what mm -hmm. I mean? There's something, you know, when I met this lady, it was like one of those moments where I felt, um, I felt almost like if I was wandering in a desert and she was like an oasis, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. And I just could not help myself. I was trying to drink as much of her as I could mm -hmm. because I, um, realizing I was still reliant on outside mm -hmm. and an external stimulus to give me validation, right? Yeah. So I still had this hole inside and I was filling that with other people, with other things. Um, and she was just one of those things that was like, that I was really, you know, what was it? That I had felt that I, that was missing in my life. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. It was like, <clears throat> so... Obviously, it's not the case. I feel bad that I like acted the way that I did in the relationship. Um, and I, I understand if she like never forgives me for being like a clingy, weird, <laughs> like douchebag after only knowing each other for two weeks or whatever. Yeah. But thankfully, it was something that I realized where it's like, okay, I thought that I had this value of self, you mm -hmm. know what I mean? But it was still like a wound that I, you know, had been avoiding forever. Mm -hmm. So, um, seeing how strong that was i was like okay i need therapy <laughs> <laughs> and and so it was through therapy that like you know the person it wasn't anything what is it called it wasn't like any kind of crazy eureka moment but it was just an understanding of like ah there's work there's there is training that can be done you yeah. know what i mean so um i started getting back into meditation which is something i started when i first did jujitsu mm doing lots of journaling. Um, and I went through better help to get my, uh, 
to my to get my therapy because it was like the cheapest option. Oh wow! And um, and it just worked for me. I've heard some bad things about it uh, from some people. Mm-hmm. Um, nothing like specific, but for me, it was super helpful because I could just text them whenever I was having some kind of issues. Mm. They would talk, and like I think the biggest thing about it was not only giving these analysis strategies like the journaling, like the meditation, but also uh, helping give names to the certain like coping mechanisms that I was uh, going towards, whether mm. it's like fatalism or like all or nothing thinking. Mm. Um, and then once I realized that there was like, if I could ascribe how I was acting with a name, for example, like if you're doing a precision jump and you understand like, ah, I undershot it or yeah. overshot it, then if you know what undershooting and overshooting feels like and you at least technically understand what that is, then that can help you find the stick. That, yeah, the yeah. stick exactly. <laughs> so it was like that from like an emotional standpoint. So understanding then when I was maybe having a moment where I was getting fatalistic or a moment when I was um, having expectations that were not voiced um, or met and realizing like that's unreasonable right to expect mm. somebody to read my mind and know yeah. like how they should act um, once I started getting names and understanding what these things were through the therapy then it was easy to be like ah okay I'm doing this right now so I can like I can actually not do that <laughs> you yeah. know what I mean and, yeah yeah totally yeah and there's a lot of training recognize it and mm-hmm. yeah you need to be able to put a face it on it sometimes and yeah so that can... helped me a ton yeah and then after putting face to it it was also that allowed me to then like seek what was the root cause for me right and then mm-hmm. seeing like ah, I still had like resentment with my mom because my mom was a great person, super loving. She did her best, mm-hmm. but I realized like the things that she gave to me were things that she wanted for her childhood. Mm-hmm. Right. Like, so she was super like hands off mm-hmm. because she had a very overbearing mother in this case, mm-hmm. but I actually would have appreciated more guidance, you know? Yeah. Um, and so realizing this coming to like acceptance with that, talking with my mom and like, you know, not even, it's not even like a forgiveness thing, but like accepting and understanding, like, you know, someone can do their best and have the best intentions and still mess up, Yeah. you know, and, and we are all just human. Like there is no, you know, no mandated parenting course. Yeah. And, or even if there is like every kid manifests their experiences differently or yeah. internalizes their experiences differently. And so, you know, going through this forgiveness, realizing and actually accepting that the things that I did go through were like fucked up Mm. and were not normal. And that though, but that doesn't have to define me. And just because those bad things happened to me, it actually has no bearing on who I am as a human being. Right. Mm. It's kind of like that cheesy, like, Oh, if you like crumple up 20 bucks, it's still 20 bucks. You know what I mean? Um, so that then started helping me understand and get over through not, like I said, not any realization. A lot of it's like training, right? Like I would have a negative thought. Okay. Like this Mm. move, if if it's parkour wise, like the per the stick is not perfect. You know what I mean? It's like Mm. 90% there, but I'll just focus on that 10%, right? That was not the way you wanted it. Yeah. But then combating that with realizing actually, but there is all this other stuff you did good about it, you know? Mm. So I started then working towards seeing myself more objectively, I call it, you know, because mm. we have moments where we 
where we see the where we see ourselves or we see the situation as better than it is or worse than it really is and when mm. in reality it's probably somewhere in the middle right we can only experience our life through our own perceptions and through our own perceptions like there's wavelengths there's colors there's yeah. many things that we have no idea that are going on right now that are going on can be potentially affecting and your us. emotions your moods are like a huge part of like how you yeah. interpret the experience right? exactly so. and that's just the emotions are just one tool it is not the yeah. the truth our experiences are just one tool with which we can perceive the world it is not the truth right mm. and so this for whatever reason um, then got me into that mode. And then once I started feeling like I was like accepting these things in my life, I felt like my mental game was going like way, way, way up. Wow. It's still, I don't feel like I'll ever be, not that I necessarily want to yeah. <laughs> be at like a Dylan Baker level or anything like that, but it was, it helped me change and shift and see that, um, that, you know, there are ways to address pretty much any kind of thing, irrational fears, rational fears. And it gave me like another tool in not only my own personal toolkit for navigating this life, but also, you know, for teaching as well. You know what I mean? Because, um, I think it's, it is like the parkour mindset, right? There's so many different ways to overcome an obstacle and the obstacle to overcome might not even be the one that is actually like in front of you yeah. or the one that you think it is. Yeah. Um, another funny, like training specific example I had that gave me this was, trying to do a simple thing, just increase my max broad jump. You know, I was, uh, I had always been, I think it was like under nine feet. I like would be like an eight and a half foot broad jump. And then I got to where I was nine. I was like, okay, I want to get a 10 foot broad jump. Mm. And I mean, 10 feet, not 10 steps like parkour people yeah. like to do. <laughs> Us Americans, kind of we, my we measure stuff. Hey, my foot is exactly <laughs> yeah. 12 inches. So exactly. <laughs> so I, I like that differentiation of, steps versus feet because yeah. freedom units <laughs> you know but anyway so um and i was thinking okay i need to be stronger to jump further so like hit the weights like mm -hmm. i got to where i was doing two and a half body weight squats uh i wow. could do three and a quarter body weight deadlift and um damn that's ridiculous and my broad jump didn't get much bigger. <laughs> I got to like nine and a half or something like that. Oh, wow. And, um, and then the other weird thing about it is the, the consistency of my broad jump was not that great. Like I, on a really good fresh day, I could hit nine and a half, but even if I wasn't perfectly fresh, it was like back to like eight and a half or like at the best, oh, maybe wow. eight, 10 or something. And then I started thinking like, okay, so what's the problem? Like this is, weird to be having yeah, that much of a volatile yeah exactly to have that much of a, a range and i at that time which was years ago i mean the timelines were jumping around a lot but this was like i don't know maybe 2010 or something like that maybe 2012 i started realize uh, getting more into mobility so like yoga mm -hmm. and things like that and realizing like okay well i you know this is actually something that i haven't been addressing at all i could only squat flat-footed if I had a hell of a lot of weight on my <laughs> back um, and that's not and I and I and like you know someone like you especially you have beautiful like mobility in your in your ankles and your like oh, squat and stuff like that um, <laughs> didn't really do too much for it so but I appreciate that but, but it's good I mean but yeah. the thing is you probably kept it you know what I mean like yeah. there's many kids Two that degree. can do that kind of stuff and you know we can lose it right um, barring someone being outside the normal aberration <laughs> but anyway 
So then I started working on my mobility um, and realizing that through that, I don't need to just work on strength to get the gains, you know what I mean? Through getting better ankle dorsiflexion, through, you know, getting a more flexible low back, through having better range with my um, with my arms and uh, I always forget which one it is, but you know, like the, with the range behind your body, I think oh, it's the yeah. uh, flexion or something I like that. Yeah, yeah, I always yeah, forget I with the shoulders, but anyway, <laughs> but being able to get my arms right behind me and all that kind of stuff, I was able to then get uh, a consistent nine foot, 10 inches. Sadly, never got the 10 foot, but, yeah. um, <laughs> that's impressive though. Heel to toe or toe yeah, to heel, or whatever. Yeah. That's fucking far, especially for someone of your, you know, build. It's not like, yeah, not yeah, that's, that. a, that's like, if we, I don't, we never talk about body size, mm -hmm. like height or maybe it's wingspan yeah. to like ratio, but yeah, that's like the big jump. Yeah. I was, a little, I was a little dude, five foot six. I mean, I am a little dude still. Uh, <laughs> and so it was, yeah, so it was awesome for me to be able to do that. But that again was another thing of like, okay, maybe the path is not always as like straightforward as we want it to believe, as we mm -hmm. want to believe it to be. Yeah. Um, and, and I think especially from like a mobility standpoint, if we're thinking with training with parkour, it is probably the thing that is missing the most from most parkour athletes. Mm -hmm. You know, I think strength training is pretty normalized nowadays, uh, but I don't see that many people that are actually treating their mobility, taking their mobility training seriously as well. Yeah. You know, um, and I think it can be way simpler than a lot of people think, you know, like it doesn't have to be. I'm taking a dedicated hour like two or three mm -hmm. times a week. But even I think basic weighted stretching can do a lot of good for, you know, a lot of parkour athletes because it it's that stress under load that is then neuromuscularly telling our you know body that it's okay to be in this range and we can use this um, rather than yeah. just the normal, you know, classic old school passive stretching type stuff that, that people like to think that mobility is right. Yeah. Um, no, it's, it, I mean, and that, that frontier is still a, a little bit evolving. I mean, it's, yeah, everything's 100%. always evolving a little bit. So I was listening to David Weck and Tim mm. on Tim's little Tim Sheaf's got a little podcast. I don't know yeah. if you kept up with him at all, but David Weck is like somebody he started following and mm -hmm. he was talking about how power is in his, kind of theory this concept he has is like is balance over strength or something to mm -hmm. that degree it's like that is the equation for how you get power and so you want and balance is measured in a way where that number you want it to get as small as possible mm -hmm. and of course strength is big as possible so that you have like ideally you know a fraction of a or less than one in the numerator position and then like the biggest number possible that's the most power you could have yeah. you know, lots of strength but also the ability to apply that strength and he was talking about exactly what you're talking about which is balance is really the way he defines it is such a broad you mm -hmm. know range of motion being able to coil and like throw yourself all yeah. the way and being able to like use every chain every muscle in the chain like these things can super dramatically and basically what he's saying you know to kind of <coughs> um echo what you're saying right now is just like even if your strength is super good or rather you know, for him, he's a 50 or 60 something year old man. He's like, my, my gains are still improving, even though there's no way I'm ever going to put up more weight than I used to be able to. But if I can mm -hmm. increase these other factors, I actually can get more power even at, you know, yeah, hundred percent ages that don't make sense. Um, but that's neither here nor there. I think that, yeah, this is just amazing. It's it, We're I bouncing around. A lot. You're bouncing. I'm bouncing. This is a big problem for me. <laughs> I bounce all around when I'm talking on podcasts. 
and in but I, what I think that might be a nice segue into is like, okay, well, you know, you are doing this new thing, mm. Parkour Explore, and or excuse mm. me, Explore Parkour, mm. and I checked out the website. It's really cool, and I think <laughs> it's so interesting talking to you now because the website and the way you've structured everything, it actually, like, even before this conversation, I was like, wow, he, like, thinks so <laughs> deeply and differently and, like, very um, just it's so uh, comprehensive the way mm. you've approached the, the instruction of parkour and what people yeah. can learn, how they can learn it. And um, would, yeah. So would you go into that project? Like how did that project maybe come to be from where we left off? And then for sure, what's that about and where, where are you going with it? So I must've been around 2018 or 2019 um so i was still working in dubai with parkour dxp things were going good we had a nice team at the time but i started seeing it must have been 2018 but um i started realizing that i often you know as a parkour coach i mean i'm doing that right now here right with coil outside um we just want coaches on the ground, right? Like mm. that's how, if you're a coach, that's how you make money teaching people. Like there are, yeah, head coach positions maybe that are slightly more managerial and stuff, but predominantly, you know, the business model is if you want to make money for your gym, you need students to get students, you need a coach, right? And so uh, we were coaching a ton um, and I had felt like my, value would be better served if I could create something that then um, other teachers could use mm. in is how it, I guess it exactly started and it kind of was also like what kind of resource would I wish that I had when I started training like I remember back in the day seeing like uh, club 540 for like tricking tutorials and stuff and there was another gymnastics one that was called like skills and drills or something and it would show you uh, in the gymnastic system, right, right, which is like there's A, B, C, D, or, you know, E difficulty skills, and you would just click on the skill and see, like, a GIF of the move. Mm. Um, and then from there, you know, you could go, uh, like, it was just basic enough to see it, so it didn't really help you that much, but from seeing stuff like that when I first started and being a bit inspired and also realizing um, that there was not really something out there um, like what I would want if I was getting into parkour now and was mm -hmm. interested in teaching or even just training, right? Mm -hmm. And so it started off as wanting to create this resource. I wanted to do it under the Parkour DXP banner at the time, but it was one of those things where, you know, they're, they, um, you know, not every, it's not that easy for a parkour gym to be making enough money to make big investments into other types of projects, right? Yeah. Uh, Margins are thin. Yeah, exactly. On parkour. Paper <laughs> thin. Because of the freaking space you need is so ridiculous. Yeah. Exactly. 100%. And so, um, obviously, and, and rightly so, that was not something that they could pay me to do, right? Mm -hmm. And with my teaching schedule, it was also something that was hard for me to keep as more than just an idea. Um, the second thing that I saw with being in Dubai is seeing how many, um, how many, like how big the parkour community really is and mm. how underserved all of the actual, uh, non-English speaking community is, you know? So you, you saw around that time, you know, fig coming around, 
um, you know, the Gymnastics Federation, trying to take parkour under their wing, and but not really respect the community that much in the way that they did it. You know, most of the people that did try to get into it, you know, I think Pasha, Sasha, um, I think there's others I, I, I can't remember, but, you know, they tried and then they left because they saw how, like, it still seems sketchy and more like a cash grab than, you know, anything else. But the other thing that you saw Fig doing is they were going straight into, you know, like Azerbaijan or some other country that, you know, we don't know. We might. I don't even know where that is on the map. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, I didn't know that. What? What was the country you just said? <laughs> yeah, exactly. So, as like a Westerner, we just don't have that awareness of it. But there's mm. 100% parkour people there that have just as much passion as us. Mm. But because their first language is not English, they are completely limited in what is right now the worldwide community. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Um, so, seeing that interest in parkour at a worldwide scale. When, when being in Dubai and also seeing that this there was this empty you know resource uh, I started dreaming up what is you know now explore parkour and um, and it started off really just as trying to think of you know what what how would I teach it and if someone were to someone were to you know want to learn from me how could I get all the knowledge that I have in here out in mm-hmm. a way that's not going to just like overwhelm confuse them. somebody or overwhelm somebody. No, that's somebody. what's so cool about it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's what I noticed. That's what, I mean, that's what you reminded me of just now is like, there's so, it's so rich, but it's so accessible and approachable at the same time. And it's like kind of a, I mean, I love the name because it's so <laughs> in tune with like what you can, how you can approach the website is you just go explore a little bit. Yeah. Like exactly. literally go explore parkour <laughs> because it's, and that way, I love it because it engages them to make their own choices and kind of like already they're they're not just sitting there passively because that's not really a great way to learn for most people anyways. Mm-hmm. It's just like, okay, dictate to me, please. Yeah, exactly. It's like they're engaged. They're deciding, you know, where their interests are. And, and, but, and, but as far as they want to go, they can keep zooming in for quite a while before they hit any barrier. And you're not even like fully fleshed out yet in that yeah, website. Yeah, exactly. So... so- so the the biggest barrier to creating this thing was that I have zero <laughs> web design experience or anything like that. So that was, uh, I think it was three years before we actually had a website that looked at least basically how I would want it to look. Mm. Um, and obviously, same thing. Margins are low. I'm not saving up a ton of money <laughs> like as a parkour teacher. So it was, you know, it was a bootstrap project. I'm just, mm-hmm. you know learning as I can, running into mostly, um, you know, mostly, yeah, web design type errors and project, uh, you know, um, yeah, errors. And it's trying a fucking to nightmare. In a <laughs> exactly. Field, man, dude. I mean, I do that oh. stuff sometimes for yeah. my work and yeah, it's my a super God. legitimate skill that is like that you need training, <laughs> legit yeah. training. And it's to expensive like, as fuck yeah. if you actually want to pay someone to do it because it is that hard yeah, exactly. to develop. So thankfully there are things though, like website builders and stuff like that, but even that's not, you know, for the extent that I want to do like a Squarespace or something like that, Mm -hmm. that's built for you to be like, okay, Hey, buy my stuff or do this Mm -hmm. kind of thing. But you know, I'm trying to, we are trying to create me and my friend Pedro, um, this all encompassing resource that is like aiming to be essentially like, like a Wikipedia of parkour, anything that you would want to know. Um, you can find there. And so the, the basic of it is understanding 
there's technical content, physical content, conceptual content. Um, and through that, those three main trees is how you can develop your parkour skills. And mm -hmm. in each technical page, for example, it will show relevant physical exercises that you could use if you wanted to further develop that. And physical exercises, not just in the building strength realm, but also in the mobility realm, right? Mm -hmm. You know, you can increase your precision jump, not just by developing your precision jump technique, but also by increasing your strength in your posterior chain or increasing your mobility, you know? Yeah. No, I love it, man. It's so, uh, sorry, to keep, I don't <laughs> no, want to cut good. you off, but <laughs> it really, you just keep reminding me because I wrote some notes down mm -hmm. when I was looking over it and I wanted to give you some feedback and yeah, I just, but I, I kind of forgot where I even put the notes, but I'll go, I'll get them for you. <laughs> they're, they're, they're right here. Yeah, for sure. But the, you just reminded me of them like, wow, you can just like, it's like you get a window into a real parkour practitioner's mind that's been doing it for how long? Uh, yeah, almost like 20 almost years. 20 now. years. Yeah. And it's like, holy shit. Like you, I mean, I don't know if they'll have the same experience I do. Cause obviously I'm a long time practitioner mm -hmm. as well. So I can really see what's yeah. there. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, this is so good because like, <laughs> this is like how you, it takes so long to learn all this, but it's just kind of like you're experiencing it by going through the website. So yeah. So sorry, just, no, uh, it's great. I'm, I'm super glad. I mean, this <laughs> is cool for me because you're, because I don't get to get a lot of feedback on it. So I'm glad that you <laughs> saw it and you, you know, you dig it, obviously. Like, I think right now we only have like two Patreon patrons on it and they're just <laughs> friends of mine, but they, mm -hmm. but they believe in it as well. You know what mm -hmm. I mean? Um, and so that's part of it, right? To have the, to show these three aspects of it and the, the connections that each of those have. Mm -hmm. um, and like the kind of the explore parkour way to kind of come back to, what that even means to me is like I kind of thought hard about what is like the cycle of progress right and what mm -hmm. is my what is like even the purpose of me training parkour at this point in my life and it's mm. kind of for me a way to express myself and that's what any kind of art form is right and I definitely think parkour is 100% an art for me just as much as it is a sport right mm -hmm. um, and the idea in my mind of what an art is is to be able to have that internal visualization of what you want to express and then be able to then create that in the real world mm -hmm. so the the cycle that i kind of have first to even understand what you want to express you need to be aware of that right so awareness is the first part of the cycle of progress then the second is preparation so once you become aware of your strengths and your struggles then you can start to prepare accordingly towards your goals mm -hmm. right and then after that then comes the adaptation you know through the preparation then you adapt and change or if it's you know parkour maybe you have to physically adapt in whatever happens if you mess it up right mm -hmm. um and then after the <clears throat> adaptation comes the the progress right and then it cycles back into it there the more you progress the more you're able to become aware of your strengths and your struggles just like the mm -hmm. whole emotional and mental stuff that we were talking about i would i'm obviously it's all just conjecture but i'm fairly sure i would not have had the like epiphanies that i had in dubai if i had not had the the epiphanies that i had in those past moments mm -hmm. you know when i was suicidal and stuff like that so um it's like this cycle that then 
leads to a deeper level of being able to express yourself, right? Mm. It's the same thing when, you know, if you're dealing with a kid or even as we're talking right now, right? Like we only have the vocabulary that we have. And if we want to, dis if we want to express ourselves better, we need to develop our vocabulary, but we not just learn a new word, but we need to like make that word a part of us so that we can actually, you know, share that with someone. And even if I used a word that you wouldn't know, if I had enough of a mastery of that word, you would be able to feel not just with mm -hmm. the technical aspect of how I'm pronouncing it, but also the intention, the energy that I put into that word, you know? Um, and, and I think of that as like how I, I treat like the parkour like side of it as far as my training and for my teaching. So that is amazing. Wow. That's so powerful. I think that's, I love that you think so deeply about it and I'm going to have to listen to that section again, just to fully, cause I, that was juicy and I totally get it. I feel like I resonated with every bit, mm -hmm. bit of that. And at the same time, I'm just like, I just want to sit on it because it was like, yeah, man, expressing yourself. I mean, that Bruce Lee quote comes to mind, mm -hmm. you know, there's that famous interview with Bruce Lee where he's like talking about how it's so hard to actually express yourself, mm -hmm. honestly, and mastery and martial arts and stuff. Ultimately they point down into this, into this kind of main vein of just like, what is it that I'm doing? And, and self-expression ultimately is sort of one of the biggest answers to that question yeah. and one of the hardest and, but like also most rewarding and most infinite goals you can keep working towards. Mm -hmm. Um, is there just better refinement of that? Yeah, and, it, and it starts off real small, right? Like I think for me, it was parkour was the thing when I started to realize what, my capabilities were and how to express myself mm -hmm. right but i was still you know socially awkward didn't know how yeah. to talk with people and you find those limits too mm -hmm. like along the way yeah which and like pivot make you like you know it's a maze in a way and yeah. you just kind of like oh i hit a wall here so i guess i gotta find a new way to express myself and eventually you start building all these skills and all of a sudden it, like you get to this meta layer of self-expression mm -hmm. and then there's another one yeah deeper. i don't know which way you go <laughs> no exactly yeah so that's yeah that's 100 percent the idea of that that yeah adaptation and progression and, and and that's just how it goes right but um so that is like the intention with the website right um inside it there's also games and stuff that we use to try to teach the concepts because a concept is something like exactly as you said i can tell you what the concept is and you can understand you can understand it from a cognitive level but to start to integrate that concept into your bones right yeah, into embody your, it or, exactly you know, yeah. to embody that it takes certain experiences you know and there's definitely experiences that we've probably had that are not legal nor reasonable to <laughs> expect a, a young kid to be able to do oh yeah absolutely. but there are ways that we can help give them similar eureka moments that we had that were instrumental in our you know growth as parkour practitioners and as human beings and so the games are not only an aspect of that but also a reintroduction into the fact that play is like a natural part of humans and a natural part of actually any kind of like animal right we're animals mm -hmm. any kind of existence on this earth you know mm -hmm. if you look at lions with their cubs if you look at anything like to develop the skills that are necessary to navigate the world like play is one of the best ways to to mm -hmm. develop that as well and i 
I just as much as like the next practitioner love and understand and want and would want my students to find joy in like the hard style of training or just putting out some reps of a technique. But, um, but this is a certain aspect, you know, this is just one way to be able to train, right? Mm -hmm. If I, if I was only able to, you know, do good research, if I was listening mm -hmm. to heavy metal, then this is like a limitation that I can keep if I'm cool with that. Yeah, yeah. But if I want to, you know, be able to expand beyond that, then I need to, to train in a different way, right? Mm -hmm. um, this was a funny thing that I had with Jesse after a long time where him and I were both uh, of the kind where we would step up to any kind of challenge, you know what I mean? And, and at a certain point, I started feeling like the real challenge actually is for us to not accept this challenge <laughs> <laughs> because yeah. that's become our habit and this is not always something that's going to serve us in our goals to to do every single challenge that goes, right? Oh man, love it's, that. It's kind of like another a funny example would be like the Yes Man movie, right? From yeah, like yeah. Jim Carrey like he was he was a no man <laughs> and then he went the complete opposite direction. And also realize that that's not exactly the best way either. Yeah. And so, you know, you have to find the middle way. But um, so that was like the bedrock for, I guess, explore parkour. And then the the second piece of it was realizing not only that parkour itself as a community has a hard time really coming together. You know what I mean? Like I, I only have my American perspective. I don't know really how, how things are in Europe, sadly. I haven't got to train or explore much there but i'm sure you you know you know how things happened with like what was it like the north american parkour associate yeah. or something like that there was like there was a national governing body that oh yeah tried yeah. to start there was a, at least one maybe two i think now there's like parkour earth or something like that but there's parkour earth and then there's an american parkour organization okay. that um is making some moves right now okay uh, yeah i, I think actually I've, I've seen that. It. Uh, i know cozy's yeah cozy is the um he was on actually like two episodes or something. Nice. Yeah, I think I saw that one. So yeah. like this is sadly something that people tried to do at least a decade ago. Yeah. Maybe maybe less than, but around there. But because I don't know, <laughs> because <laughs> the people involved were not in a place to to meaningfully compromise or to meaningfully work together. Everybody mm -hmm. maybe had a little bit too much, you know, you can't say if it's ego or what it is, but either way, people were not working together well mm -hmm. enough to actually come together yeah. you know and make something happen you know there's been the parkour uk for a long time australia's had a, a long time national governing body um but the u.s just was never able to pull the trigger on this kind of thing for for whatever reason with the yeah. people involved you know thankfully it's it seems to be happening now mm -hmm. but um but i think this is like um this is one of the things that i feel would have been a good a good not weapon but a good tool to use when fig has started to do its you know thing trying yeah. to you know take parkour um so that's where uh realizing that since everything is in english i would like my resource uh, our resource me and pedro's resource explore parkour to be uh translated into as many different languages as possible you know mm -hmm. so my friend pedro pedro bessa uh he's a longtime practitioner in brazil met him because he started working in dubai as well um ended up becoming one of my best friends because one of the nice things as i started like working on my mental development is that i started 
feeling like I could then actually have meaningful relationships with people, you know, mm. uh, and be open to that kind of thing. Um, but with him, you know, he's working not only on developing content alongside with me because from working with me for two years or more now, more now, like four years, mm -hmm. you know, he understands the vision that how I want explore parkour to be. And he's, you know, he digs it as well. And he sees mm -hmm. that as like, you know, the, the positive influence that it can be. Thankfully he has, you know, he has the understanding of English and, <clears throat> and he speaks Portuguese as his native language. So, <laughs> He's been able to translate most of the site, I think all of it, into Portuguese. And as we continue uh, developing Explore Parkour, he'll be alongside doing that. Uh, we have two other contacts that are working in Dubai right now that uh, will be working on us with the Spanish translations and the Arabic translations. Mm. Uh, I currently also have some friends in Turkey, uh, Iranian friends that, I, that are going to start, that I would like to have them start on like Farsi translations. Mm. Um, and obviously I know a little bit of Turkish. My, my wife speaks Turkish. Um, the Turkish translation is like a next high priority item for me too. Mm. Um, since that's something that I want to help develop since I'm living in Turkey, <laughs> right? It's going to be nice to, to help get the knowledge out there. And so, yeah, anybody also listening to this podcast, mm. if you speak any other languages and are interested, um, and helping out with XP, that's like totally a big, a big realm that we, you know, we can need and um, want as far as um, just trying to get the knowledge out. Because I think also as like a poor person, you know, from coming from a poor background, seeing the barriers to entry into, you know, academics, for example, mm. um, seeing how things like community colleges were seen as like less than like a state college or some of the Ivy League places and feeling like there's these class barriers that don't don't really need to exist you know mm -hmm. trying to again like display in-depth parkour information in a mm, in a digestible way easily digestible way but also in as many different languages as possible so that english doesn't have to be a barrier to entry you know what i mean you don't have to have a sports science background to at least learn a precision jump or something like that. Obviously, um, anything that you want to take deeper, like there should be a point at which, you know, export parkour or even a coach is, you know, just a helpful thing, but not a necessary thing, right? Yeah. Like we don't want any of our students to be reliant on us for the entirety <laughs> of their lives, right? We want to make free thinking human beings that can you know, make good decisions for themselves and hopefully make the world like a better place, right? Um, and so even though I'm just a lowly parkour teacher, <laughs> like Explore Parkour is my passion project into trying to, you know, give my skill set back to the world and hopefully help, you know, raise the level up of everybody. Yeah, man, absolutely incredible. I think you're doing amazing things with it. Um, I hope that that lowly parkour teacher is not any of that self worth issue coming up again. No, no, but it's but <laughs> it's under, yeah teasing you, but uh, <laughs> yeah, no, I, I think it's amazing. I think that's really cool, and I think all the reasons you guys have put together, it's so well thought out, and I've definitely encouraged people to check it out and reach out to you if they feel like they can help. 
Yeah, for sure. Um, yeah, sharing it. I mean, we will always have some of the resources for free, uh, like a percentage of it. And as we start creating more content that we right now, because we don't honestly, it's, it's a passion project and I haven't thought enough, I'm sure, about how to market it. You know, we're just going the Patreon route. We didn't want Nothing to get better ads. than word of mouth, baby. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Spread it around. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but yeah, sharing it, um, you know, utilizing the free content. Um, and then, you know, if you're able and interested, becoming a patron, you know, is something that um, are all ways to, to obviously uh, help us, you know, helping with translations. Feedback is always great, too, um, because I'm not a web designer. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, it's definitely, yeah, there's so many things you got to pull together. So, but I definitely, yeah, it's so cool. You know, this is such a powerful resource for anyone who wants to or already is in parkour or wants to teach it. Mm -hmm. Really cool. Um, Unless you want to say any more on that, I have one last thing I want to ask, and then we can maybe put a bow on this, yeah, this discussion I think, because I think that's you good. mentioned your wife, and I think there's been an interesting kind of like thread about like the women in your life and mm. how you've um, had different lessons and stuff learned along the way. Yeah. What was it, you know, now that you're in this new place, you're married, and you, you know, how did that happen? And mm -hmm. um, yeah, where are you at now that you're, you know, you're in this healthy loving relationship <laughs> yeah <laughs> I like uh, if you're just listening to this yeah she's if you're, kicking back now yeah. like let's go yeah if you're just listening to this he had to look over at her to make sure <laughs> to choose his words wisely before he goes into it no um yeah i mean i think as is natural we see what you know is around us in the media in our personal lives in our family lives and we then um, begin to assimilate that as what our perspective of anything needs to be. In this case, we're talking about a relationship, right? Mm -hmm. So we see what's on TV, we see what's on the media, we see what's in our own personal experiences, our family, our friends, etc. And I think the biggest positive shift from my old way of thinking of relationships to where I'm at right now is in the past, for me, it was one of those okay, you need to find someone that completes you. Yeah, you know? the Jerry Maguire. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so that's a deep cut for some people. <laughs> um, and so this, from my perspective, it doesn't serve my own personal goals and it's not a healthy thing for me to think of myself as not a full human being. Yeah, unless the old paradigm is sort of codependency in exactly. a, like that was romance back in the day. Exactly. So... <laughs> Um, you know, and realizing that I am a complete, you know, human being just as I am and to not have the relationship be the meaning to my life, but have it be the addition to my life, finding somebody that I can not only share my successes with, but my struggles with while not foisting my successes or struggles upon them for mm. some kind of external validation or problem solving or something like that. More of like a teammate versus, you know, my problems or your problems kind of person. Mm -hmm. So when I started an appendage, yeah, exactly. <laughs> like another, yeah, like a tool to use a, or a selfish, you know, you know, the selfish kind of love. Like, so now the way that I, I think of it, you know, my friend had a really good example, uh, Paul Graves, where he was like, okay, a lot of people like to think of, a good relationship as like 
two columns that are like leaning against each other <laughs> and through that you know miracle of counterbalance are able to build something on top uh, of yeah, yeah. but this is is not a strong foundation right and so um through trying to just be my own strong column you know what i mean and obviously nobody's perfect like i'm still i'm sure there's still going to be realizations that i have years from now where i'm like oh, okay this was another blind spot that mm -hmm. i had you know um and and that can happen even in simple as simple as like i'm sure my precision tech can get better but i'm also sure like my emotional like stability can get better i'm sure i can get more empathic i'm sure i can you know increase um my awareness and, uh, and those kinds of things so but by being on this journey to be my own complete human being and not making that anybody else's responsibility um it's then allowed me to feel like i can have a healthy relationship with another person um that is on a similar path you mm -hmm. know so my wife i can say your name don't mind okay cool <laughs> <laughs> uh with we selen yeah That's exactly. important in a healthy relationship <laughs> exactly uh with selen the cool thing is like we both are interested in our own things and want to have our own lives and share those things with each other. Mm. We also um, get along from the only way I can kind of describe it is like from a chemical point of view, mm. like our personal struggles don't interact in an explosive way with each other's right. So mm. like if someone has severe abandonment issues, but and this other person just doesn't like you know, to be on their phone a lot, that can be a struggle that then exacerbates each other's personal struggles, right? Mm -hmm. But, um, so thankfully, Selena and I have, we've sorted out any of the things, for the most part, that we have in, in that realm. And so we're able to, you know, live our lives, share our successes and our struggles with each other while working towards, you know, not making it the other person's problem, not making the other person's responsibility to, you know, make me happy or to solve my problems. Um, and then sometimes it's actually the other way around. Like maybe we can be too independent. And so having somebody that we can start to be more comfortable sharing more with as well, you know? Mm. And so it was just one of those things when we met, um, Another thing, like I had been in some relationships that didn't work out so well <laughs> and I knew immediately like I had a super strong connection with her, but I didn't know what that meant yet, mm. you know, and I didn't want to force that into being like, okay, that means we should be in a romantic relationship. Maybe it means we would have been just like amazing friends or whatever, you know, I didn't want to, to, to force it into any one box because I have already leapt into things like that before looking <laughs> like i've done that and yeah. it doesn't go well yeah exactly and so, so i'm gonna look at it more objectively again and yeah um so from you know moving a little bit slower in the beginning than maybe i might normally it helped me realize that this is actually somebody that is on a, a similar path of personal progression just trying to like do their best in the world um and i would super uh i would be honored honestly to have them in my life to share those things, you know? Mm. Um, and we had our own, yeah, we had our own struggles and troubles too. For example, like I still had to deal from getting back into a relationship. I realized there were still self-worth based things that had to do with like infidelity that I was insecure about. Mm -hmm. But thankfully 
I know it did still affect her negatively, but we were able to overcome it, and I was at least uh, logically, even though emotionally maybe I was freaking out, logically able to be like, you know, I know this is not your problem. I know I'm freaking out, Mm -hmm. and I know it's like freaking you out, (laughs) but this is actually like nothing to do with you. You know, I'm just trying – I just have to get over this feeling that like I am – I am – that I can trust you to be honest. And even if you were, uh, you know, even if you were sleeping with somebody else or doing something like that, it actually has no bearing on my value as a human being, which is something that I, I'm okay. You're okay. Yeah, exactly. There's a a random dude, a homeless dude that came up to you one time. He was telling me about this brilliant, like psychologist. He's like, and his whole thing was, I'm okay. You're okay. (laughs) And I don't, I'll never forget that. It was so great. Yeah. and, And it's exactly that. So, you know, having these, these realizations in the beginning, being able to navigate these struggles well with one another, you know, mm-hmm. and also just being willing to, to own up to our own mistakes um, and just try to to still be true to ourselves, but do also, you know, honor the other person and their goals and what they want to do, you know. So it was she knew immediately, I think, that she wanted to marry me. Oh, snap. But it took me a little bit of time. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) But it took me a little bit of time uh, to come to this and, but realize like, yeah, this is totally somebody that I would love to, you know, spend the rest of my life with and, you know, figure out, continue learning who I am, continue learning who she is, Mm. and also continue learning, you know, what that means for us together. So Mm -hmm. I, I don't think of it necessarily like the oh we completed each other but we are you know we are walking the the same direction in our path mm-hmm. of life and we're able to you know hold hands and and share while we do it kind of thing beautiful stuff i love it very cool thank you for sharing all of that man you've been so um honest and just forthcoming with everything today it's been like i think it's so cool i love it like it's really powerful i think it really is going to help it helped me it helps i think it'll help listeners Um, navigate some of these things that you've done and i think it's so awesome to see just like your journey like what a what an incredible journey you've already been on Um, and it's (laughs) so clear that you've like really done like you know the work as people call you done the work like (laughs) it's just like so cool though yeah so i'm like wow man Um, (coughs) that maturation process is not easy and i think it's like um commendable for you know <laughs> to see like wh- how you've gone through some of these things mm-hmm. and, and where you're at now and what you're offering with xp i like xp just even as a yeah it's Gain, like gaining some xp get that xp baby exactly. parkour. <laughs> um, that'll be for sure i'll mention it on both ends of the episode i do an okay. intro and an outro but still like you know go in the description right now i think and check that out yeah no, um, it's been it, such a pleasure to have you on bro yeah uh, thanks dude yeah it's been super good too and and i mean i think like just to touch on like as far as that honesty thing i think that's one interesting aspect of like we create these traditions right like and there are these taboos that are like our culture has like mm. asking about our salaries for example is like a big mm-hmm. taboo right um or as a man we're not supposed to like express our feelings right mm-hmm. uh, if i were to compliment you maybe the natural way would for me to actually like make a degrading joke about that <laughs> yeah thing. talk shit to me that's exactly. how <laughs> men express their like, love exactly. in many cultures <laughs> <laughs> and so um one i think one of the most influential books i read recently like a lot of um 
obviously I really liked a lot of Eastern philosophy, samurai, Bushido, Zen Buddhism type stuff when I was younger, but the, the flow book by, I really wish I could pronounce his last name, but it's Mihaly like something. I, I'm not okay. even going to try, but he, he is the first psychologist that really coined the term flow, I believe. Oh, yeah. And the flow state is what oh, you wow. know, this is referencing. Um, it's a book totally, uh, if you're in at all interested in flow state, that you should read. And one of the cool things that is in the book are these certain different anthropological studies where he sees how conducive to flow state different cultures are. For example, he talks about a tribe where if your back is turned to the person or if you're going into the woods, essentially like the people in the for uh, the people in the wood or the spirits in the forest can be, you know, doing bad things to you or putting bad ideas into the heads of the people back in the, the tribe. And I'm probably butchering the story, <laughs> but but the essential idea of it is that. It's cre that's it's n that culture was not conducive to flow at all because it always put them in a high alert state when no Constant when it was not stress. necessary. Yeah. yeah, exactly. That's the giant tab open all the time. That you're exactly, and so I think through that book it helped me really like try to look back at my life and the things and the certain traditions or mores that I just assumed is like the way things are, mm. right? And and if that thing is not serving me and if that is not going to serve another person to show that there can be another example. Like mm -hmm. it's okay to be honest about these things. And thankfully this stuff is getting way more common to talk about. You know yeah. what I mean? You can see lots of good positive positivity made with like, you know, men actually being able to compliment each other and not being, you know, some kind of weird homophobic thing where you have <laughs> to be super yeah. aggressive or something like that. So retraining and, you know, taking, what we were taught in the cultures we were raised and it's just like the bruce lee thing yeah. like taking what is useful <laughs> discarding what's useless and then you know create your own culture you know yeah, what i mean yeah and 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 give people the power and the space to create their own you know because i don't the way that i'm living my life i know 100 percent is not the way that others would want to live theirs but i would implore them to at least question and see which ways they are not actually living their life, but that their life is being lived for them from their past, from their external mm -hmm. influences, from their friends, their peers, their family, from the culture of the place that they were born in. And so that they can more lucidly choose and lucidly live the way that they want, you know, start taking steps towards that. Because I think that's like, that's the goal, right? Like to, to be happy. And a lot of the things we take for granted the things that we think are just ways that the world is and has to be, we actually have the power to change that, you know, mm. uh, yeah, if not for ever. ourselves. Um, but through time, you know, like we can have a huge impact if we, if we support each other in finding our own personal power and happiness and, and find the things that give us that flow state. Right. As long as those things aren't like murdering each other or something <laughs> like that. Yeah. Yeah. It's tough when like someone hasn't, they have, yeah, the, the, it takes a certain awareness, like you're saying, mm -hmm. like it, awareness doesn't come easy and it has yeah. to like be actually embodied sometimes before mm -hmm. it's useful. Um, yeah. But yeah, I love, I feel like the the world's in pretty good hands with, with dudes like you running around out here. <laughs> and, you know, it's definitely a part of our generation. I think, like you said, these things are coming up more. Mm -hmm. yeah. And like you said, we have the power and it's, it's certainly, you know, as us as in our early 30s now, mm -hmm. starting to get to that time where the world is going to come more and more under our 
guardianship or like mm-hmm. lead or whatever i don't know what you want to use but um responsibility is, is mm-hmm. like being handed down event always you know people are mm-hmm. are dying so i think it's cool to see that evolution embodied in you and um yeah man i'm so pumped <laughs> for everyone to listen to this so yeah jump in that description check out all the links and uh thank you jeremy sanders sweet on thank you, dude. yeah it was Woo. lovely all right that's what's up this was episode 113 jeremy sanders keeping it real like that on the mic in our high drop studio (laughs) thank you guys for being a part of it listening doing all the things that you do in the description like subscribe like things comment and um review write and review I want you to turn redneck and then write and review on that iTunes and Spotify, if you know what I mean. You know what I'm saying? You get a little piece of wheat in your mouth and then just write and review five stars because that's all you know how to do. Yeah. You know how I like to get a little weird at the end of the episode. I hope you guys um have a great fourth of july you know parkour history episode four is coming out so be prepared for that and make sure you go follow jeremy's uh explore parkour project through the description and his stuff on instagram and wherever else you can find him um until next time